Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is John Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and Riv and this is now episode 55. In this episode, we're going to talk about Derrick Henry, Deshaun Watson, then give our award predictions for the awards such as MVP and Comeback Player of the Year. After that, we're going to react to Larry Fitzgerald's retiring, Justin Herbert and Justin Jefferson's great rookie season, and Tua's bad game against the Bills. Then we will finish off the episode talking about the Adam Gase firing and the Doug Peterson debacle versus Washington on Sunday night. So if you guys are wondering why we're not talking about playoff stuff in terms of the matchups and previewing for our audience out there that's listening, it's because we're going to do another football episode later on this week, or we're going to do just an individual episode for that. So we're going to preview, we're going to preview all the wildcard games and we're going to do an NFL pick them edition of wildcard in that episode as well. But so much stuff happened yesterday that I felt like we had to cover some of this stuff before we jumped right into the playoff matchups and previewing playoff games for that. So, you know, Riv, I know you've been gone for a minute, so address the audience. What do you got to say? <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, I'm just happy to be back, man. I had a couple of things I had to handle, but I'm back and uh, I feel good, rejuvenated 2021. So I'm here, man. Let's, let's get it started, man. It's our first episode of the new year. Yeah, very first one. Very first one. So I think it's going to be a great one, and we want to shout out Apex for donating. Thank you. And I appreciate you defending me from these Dolphins fans and these Tua, <laughs> these Tua lovers. You know, th- there's one thing I want, to, I want to set the record straight on. I don't want... Before like, you bash him? I don't, I don't want Tua to fail. Like, I'm not rooting for the guy to fail. Really? I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm not rooting for the guy to fail. <laughs> Am I... And is there a little part of me that, that wants me to be right about it? Of course I want to be right about it. I think everybody wants to be right about what they say. I never said he was going to be a bust. I never said he was going to be horrible. I said he was going to be good, but not good enough mm. for what he was drafted as. That's all I said. You know, and then all the hate came in. Did I go a little bit excessive with my take when I yes. compared him to Kyle Allen? I don't know. You know, the numbers prove something different, you know. So, I mean, I have a lot to say about the topic. It's going to come on later on in the show. I'm pretty sure because... Right now we have we have ten topics this episode, and the two one is the eighth. So we'll probably talk about that in about an hour or so. That's when that topic is going to come up. But the first topic of this episode is Derrick Henry. He had two thousand rushing yards. He rushed for that against the Texans in a very close game. Which if if they would have lost, they would have been a wild card. I mean, they would have still played in the wild card, but they wouldn't have won the division. And there's just just one simple question. Is he the most dominant running back that you've ever seen? Either one can answer first. Um, I, I say no, but I say no because of the simple fact that I've seen Adrian Peterson play, and I feel like he was the most dominant running back I ever seen. I mean, talk about in his, his comeback year when he won MVP and had to literally carry that Vikings team to the playoffs. But if I had to put it in order, I would say Adrian Peterson first and Derrick Henry second because he's just the way he impacts the game and just dominates off the run is ridiculous. He's literally like six three, like he's literally like LeBron James running the ball. And it's it's ridiculous. And another guy I would talk about too is Chris Johnson. He was also another guy who had two K for the Titans. So shout out to the Titans for having two K running back. But I would probably put Derrick Henry as number two, being the second most dominant running back I've ever seen in my life. 
Yeah, I want to preface this by saying I'm only 21 years old, so obviously I didn't have the luxury of watching live some of the best running backs ever to play, and that's a whole different discussion that we could get into. But just speaking on guys that I've seen in my lifetime, and I was able to watch them live, you know, watching them play, not just watching a highlight tape. Who'd you watch live? I would have Derrick Henry in my top three. The top three guys I would say. So he's third in your list. Just speaking pure dominance. And not speaking on skill set because, I, you know, obviously when you get into, like, pass catching, yeah, I think cool. there's better, or I shouldn't say better, more well-rounded running backs in the league right now. There are but, better pass catchers, yeah. Yeah, but. But when you mm-hmm. speak on pure dominance and impact on an offense, I think there's only three guys or, or two guys, including him, that are in a category that he is right now, and that's Adrian Peterson and LaDainian Tomlinson. And I only got to see the tail end of LaDainian Tomlinson, but when you look at what he did this year, He's the first running back to win back-to-back rushing titles since LaDainian Tomlinson in 2006-2007. So that's more than a decade ago, almost a decade and a half ago since the last time that happened. Adrian Peterson never did it, and he's going to be one of the greatest running backs of all time. So that's an incredible accomplishment. He's the first running back ever to rush for 200 yards against the same opponent in back-to-back meetings. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to do because you do it once, it's a great game, but the team gets to go back, game plan for you. They have the tape, they put a game plan together, and then to come out and do the same exact thing to the same team a second time, it just goes to show, it's like, you know, I talk about it in basketball sometimes, you can know where the ball's going, but you got to stop it. And he is just an unstoppable force sometimes. This year, he had... 1,479 yards after contact, which is more yards than total yards of anybody in the NFL not named Dalvin Cook. So it just goes to show you how incredible of an athlete he is, how incredible of a runner he is. And in the NFL right now, there's only two teams that run the ball more. It's the Patriots, who were not a good team this year, and the Ravens, who have multiple different ways of attacking you with the run. The Titans use Derrick Henry to build their offense around. Like he is the focal point of that offense and he opens up the road for Tannehill to have such a great season and AJ Brown and Corey Davis to have such great seasons. So without him, I don't think this team would be half of what it is. And and I just think that speaks to his dominance. Your head nodding just it just be he, killing me. He <laughs> he is the most dominant running back that I've ever seen. And what you said earlier, that's exactly what I'm gonna say. I'm twenty one years old, so the best running backs that I've seen, the best running back seasons have been Chris Johnson. Even though it was 2009, I was 10 years ago, I was 11, you yeah. know, 10. So I wasn't really watching football in in the terms of studying the game. Adrian Peterson was another one that was a dominant running back season. And people forget about DeMarco Murray with Dallas. You know, that was another one. And he actually had 1,000 yards with the Titans as well. And Derrick Henry played alongside DeMarco in a – I believe 2016. He's the most dominant running back that I've ever seen. When you look at what he's done these last three years, since 2018, he's had a thousand yards rushing each year. In 2018, he had a thousand yards. In 2019, he had a thousand five hundred. In 2020, he has two thousand. Is he going to have two thousand five hundred next year? Mm-hmm. It seems like he's going. He's going past five hundred each season. And even when Demarco Murray was there in 2016, Demarco's first year, he was better than Henry. But in 2017, Derrick Henry only started two games, and he rushed for 744 yards and only started two games. DeMarco Murray started the most of those games, but Derrick Henry was just so much better than him in that second year (laughs) that he got most of the carries, and he took advantage of them. 
But like you said, I think the running back that had like the most dominant year was probably Adrian Peterson because I believe at the time his quarterback was who? Christian Ponder? I'm not sure. I think it might have been Ponder the year that uh, Adrian Peterson rushed for 2,000 yards. If you guys want, you could fact check me right now. I think Sidney Rice was on the team at the time. I don't even know. Like I, that I think was such a they had a great O line. I think it was Teddy Bridgewater actually. Teddy Bridgewater. You think Teddy was there? Teddy Teddy was a starter that year. I'm pretty sure. I remember now. AP was eight yards away from be eight yards away from tying Eric Dickerson's record for most rushing yards in the season and nine yards from breaking it. So AP, you know, if it wasn't for that story with his son, like beating his son with the branch, then he would have he would have probably kept doing. He would probably would have been more dominant. But I don't think I've seen a stretch as dominant as Derrick Henry's as he's been doing these past three seasons. It was I mean, Christian Ponder. It was Chris, it was he Christian started Ponder. that year. I don't think Teddy was there yet. His 2,000-yard season, right? Christian yeah. Ponder? And, yeah, and Christian, Christian Ponder Ponder's sucks. numbers were terrible. Yeah, he sucks. I, I, yeah. That's why I said Teddy wasn't there yet, I don't think. I think he came a little bit after. I, I think because it was much easier to stop the Vikings running game because their quarterback sucks. I think it's much harder to game plan for Tennessee. I think, I think the, the reason good. why I, I put AP – is a more dominant runner. It's because with Derrick Henry, like, both of them are very strong. But I think with Adrian Peterson, when he breaks through a run... He's more elusive. Yeah, he's, like, he's more elusive in the sense where he'll juke you, he'll spin off you, he'll stiff arm you. Derrick Henry's kind of like a straightforward, I'm just going to run you over type of guy. But I think, well, like you said, too, with the with the uh, quarterback, Ryan Tannehill was much, much, much better than Christian Pond. A.J. Brown was probably better than every receiver they had on that team. So the offense is better suited for Derrick Henry to dominate because they could also pass the ball. With the Vikings, you knew what they were going to do. They had a great O-line, but you knew what they were going to do. They were going to run the ball all day, all game. And I think with the fact that Adrian Peterson won the MVP, too, and he came off an ACL injury, yeah. was like, wow. He won comeback player of the year that year, yeah, too. Yeah, it was just like, wow. I didn't. We didn't expect him to do that. Like you said, if it wasn't for him beating his son and all the injuries he had, he would have still been dominant. But yeah, those two would be definitely be my guy. Danny was a good one too, but I've seen like later. Yeah, we only got to see the tail end of his career, but you know, I just think when you speak about Derrick Henry, it's so incredible because he's not like I said the most versatile guy in the league. He does he's not like uh he's not a much of a speed back. You pretty much know he's, he's gonna be like, a he's gonna be a bowling ball running back. This might be a bowl ticket. But he's, I, I he's think that's like, what makes him. He's kind of like exactly, and kind of like Giannis in my. I think like in terms of the league, just straight dominance, like a Giannis Shaq guy. Like you know what he's gonna do. He's just gonna dominate the yeah. one area that he. You know he's look. Gonna I, I'll say this: in the regular season, I, I think AP has an edge over in terms of the best rushing yard season. I think that I've seen. I think AP has that edge. But if you look like around all. The entire body of work, Derrick Henry in the playoffs is phenomenal. He's yeah. the only player ever to have 170 yards back to back rushing in, in in NFL history for a running back. So if you're, we're taking into account regular season and what he's done in the playoffs so far, I think it's Derrick Henry. And, and he did that last year against great defenses too. You yeah, know, against Baltimore. Yeah, in the playoffs, in the playoffs where you know you're getting every team's best shot. It's not the regular season where you could have a fluke week and it really means nothing. You know teams are putting out their best game plan, doing you know throwing the kitchen sink at you, and he still had incredible games, carried that team to the AFC Championship where they lost to maybe one of the best teams I, I think that we've seen in our lifetime. You know, that was an insurmountable opponent, I feel like. So the fact that he got them there with as dominant as he, as he was in the postseason just speaks towards, like, it, it's it's hard to imagine that he's able to do the things he does 
when you know what he's going to do, I feel like. But their blocking no is one really can good. Stop no, for real. no one can stop it. And, I, and it's so impressive. I have a question. Um, speaking on the Derrick Henry situation, so football is a little different with the basketball. You guys go every season, you change your list up, you don't go by totality. You go whoever's the best receiver this year, that's going to be the best receiver. So this year, would you, you would declare Derrick Henry the best running back in the league? Yeah, by far. Yeah, I think he is. So over the past, because I know CMC, he's missed a lot of time. Dalvin Cook has been performing. Over the last three seasons, would you put Derrick Henry as still number one? Yes, over the past two seasons, he's definitely number one. The reason why I'm kind of hesitant about saying CMC is because Mike Davis came in there and pretty much produced to the level, not as well, but he produced at a really high level to the point that he was a – Every week, fantasy starter for me, Mike Davis. Like, I knew yeah. he was going to produce. Yeah. So, you know, he went in and filled CMC's role. CMC would have been better, of course, but he still played phenomenally well. I don't think somebody could come in and fill Derrick Henry's role and play as well as he's played. One thing that I was thinking about this before, I feel like him, I can say one thing about him that I don't think I can say about any other running back in the league. I think he's irreplaceable. Like, I don't I don't think you could put any running back in his shoes and they would have as good of a season. Mm. You know 2000, yeah, maybe no. Like like you crazy. talk about Mike Davis just stepped into Christian McCaffrey's shoes and while he didn't meet, he didn't reach that same number that you would get out of Christian McCaffrey, he still had a great season. Like he was one of the top running backs in the league this past year, mm-hmm. statistics-wise. You know, Saquon Barkley in his absence, the Giants had some great rushing games out, out of Wayne Gallman. You know, I, I just feel like there are so many offenses where a running back can step in and play great. The Ravens, you could throw any running back in that system. They would play great. And I think that's what's so special about this season because there isn't many 2K rushers yeah. that you can just replace, like yeah. the Adrian Petersons, the Chris Johnson. Yeah. Like even Derrick Henry. There isn't many guys you could just throw in their spot and say, all right, replicate this because it's going to be difficult. I think that Derrick Henry is an irreplaceable running back. I think he's the only irreplaceable running back in the league right now. Dalvin Cook. Even Dalvin Cook, though. But I think, no. but wouldn't you be able to trade? You can put Derrick Henry in Dalvin Cook's situation and he would do the same. I don't know. Their offensive line is really bad. I, I think Derrick Henry would make him so special is that their blocking is really good. So once he gets to that second level, he can break those tackles. But, you know, what if his offensive line was really bad? Is he elusive enough to get to that second level? I'm not sure. I think he's still, a, you know, I I think, especially for the running back position, it's a team effort. It's not like one guy carries, but Dalvin Cook in this situation, he's really been carrying that offensive line. Like, he's been playing better, but, you know, he's really been doing his thing. That's why I think he's irreplaceable. Like, Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook I think are both irreplaceable to me. And one other thing I wanted to mention about Henry is how sneakily athletic he is. Because he's so big, you don't really think about him as like a burner. But when you see him break free and he gets into space, yeah, like he has a crazy stiff arm, but he will outrun like defensive backs. And that's insane for a guy of his size. Yeah, he's huge. I always say about guys like, like him, like there is no way somebody should be that large of a human being and be able to run as fast as he does. <laughs> it's him, bro. It's, it's, him. it's him, bro. Bro, I just be thinking about so much stuff. What the hell? <laughs> I just when you guys talk, like I'm just I'm just That's thinking of, I'm thinking about so much different stuff while you guys are talking. Like I'm thinking about 
my reactions. Like when Jack is talking, once you once you mention once you mention the head nodding. Now when I start to head nod, I'm thinking about my head nodding. And you always then I start to laugh. And what doesn't help? What doesn't help is the viewers at home can't see this, but there is a monitor right across from us, right there. And me and Riv can't really see it because we look at you, but you have to look at us. And in your peripheral vision is the monitor. So I'm sure that now that he said that. You're catching, even if you don't realize it, you're catching it out of the side of your eye, and his, the monitor. And his head nodded because you don't know if he's agreeing with you yeah. or not. He's just... I, and, and I yeah. see it too. When I when I have any... So I'm just listening. I, yeah. I see so him like, nodding his head and I'm like, is he about to agree yeah, or that's is he what I'm about saying. to like, one time totally when We were talking about something and he did the head nod repeatedly, so I'm thinking he's about to agree with you. And he's like, well, I disagree <laughs> with you, Jack. And I was just like, what? Nah, because <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, is that like it, it's just weird because... That's how I showcase that I'm listening. Like I'm listening. I'm, I'm just. I'm like. I think it's even weirder if I just look at you straight on. Yeah. And I just go like this the whole yeah. time. You know, because now you feel like I'm. I'm mad I feel at uncomfortable. you. <laughs> so and it's weird because since I sit here, when you guys are giving your takes, Jack is constantly looking at me. He's not looking at you the entire time. He's looking at me. So now if I feel like I look away at you, I'm like I'm ignoring what he's saying. So it, I, I sit in the weirdest position, and that's why I start to laugh because, like, <laughs> you know, I'm really catching everything in real time. Yeah, nah, for real. But yeah, you know, you went on about Derrick Henry and what you know, Derrick Henry. He's sneaky, athletic, and he's a large human being. That's what we're talking about. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I it, it's like him, guys like him, yeah, DK Metcalf. Chase Young, like it, it's unbelievable yeah, how they, they move so fast. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't make any sense. And, and I feel like every time he breaks off a run, I find my myself, you know, like how is that even possible? Yeah, I mean he's great. But another player that's great that they faced off against that's also in the AFC South is Deshaun Watson. And in my opinion, Deshaun Watson just had the greatest quarterback season that went to waste in NFL history. Like he had four thousand eight hundred twenty-three passing yards, almost five k, eight point nine yards per attempt, which was first in the NFL, and his passing yards was first, by the way, and a one hundred twelve point four passer rating, which is second in the NFL. Mind you, Deshaun Watson plays on a team that doesn't have a number one wide receiver. He plays on a team that doesn't have an elite running back. David Johnson kind of revived his career this season, and you know made up for his lost reputation. But then you look at the offensive line. Their offensive line is literally ranked 26 overall this season. Their offensive line is horrible, and it's been horrible since Deshaun Watson got drafted there. Any other quarterback that is in a situation like that usually plays bad, and we talk about how they're playing bad because of the situation. And Deshaun Watson is the first guy that I've seen overcome such a bad situation this well. Like, I haven't seen, you know, we when you, we look at quarterbacks that are in horrible situations, Matthew Stafford has been in one, and Matt Ryan has been in one for the past couple of years, and they don't have these numbers. Yeah. Like, they don't have these numbers. Even Drew Brees from, like, 2013 to 2017, I believe. But even Drew, like, their defense was horrible, but their offense was never bad. Yeah, I was just going to say about all those guys you mentioned, like Matt Stafford, uh, Matt nice. Ryan, both of them have had great weapons during that stretch of time, and while Deshaun Watson had that with DeAndre Hopkins, now they traded him away for essentially a bag of peanuts. So it's like, what is he working with? That defense has been pretty bad pretty much his entire career. 
And now he lost his best weapon in DeAndre Hopkins. His number one wide receiver was Will Fuller, who played really well, but I think that that was... And went down because he was suspended. Yeah, exactly. I I think that was because of Deshaun Watson. You know the thing about Deshaun Watson? um, Shout out to his girl. She's very uh, beautiful, very beautiful. Um, (laughs) That's his thing about Deshaun Watson. That's all all he got out of Deshaun Watson. It's pretty interesting because if you watched... You know, I had to do some film today because, you know, you two guys... When it comes to this football stuff, you know what you're talking about. So I had to go in and do some little film work today. But <laughs> new this, new 20, 2021, <laughs> New River. Yeah, I had to go and do some film work. But this guy makes games that he shouldn't be in close. I'm talking about games that should be blowouts because this team is essentially not that good. He makes it into a game. And the fact that he has to essentially run for his life every game because that offensive line is so bad and he makes it work. He makes play after play. He is a top five, top six quarterback in this league. And if they get him some help out there, this team could be really dangerous. He's only 25 years old, so he's still young. He still has time, and he has the talent to be really, really special. You know, I I said this before the season started when they traded DeAndre Hopkins. I said— No, you said it. No, no, tell the truth. You said—I remember this. You said— It's not going to be that huge of a drop-off. Yeah, and they suck. I mean, no, no, no. Hold up, hold up. For one, I think the Texans, their record shows that they really do suck. They, I mean, <laughs> they have the third overall pick that's going to Miami. But look at this. They lost eight games this year by one score. Yep. Eight games. So, realistically, if three games go their way, they're, they're a seven-win team. Seven and nine isn't horrible. But what I, what, I, what I said about the DeAndre Hopkins trade is that it's not that huge of a drop-off when you take into account Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, and they had Kenny Stills at the time. And all those guys, because you don't have a number one, but you have a bunch of number twos that can be number ones on like lower end teams. Brandon Cooks is not horrible. Neither is Kenny Stills. Oh, they had Randall Cobb too. Like yeah, he got I think, hurt. I think it was more Neither is Randall Cobb. Prone. That's what it was. You know, if, if their contracts were less, I think it would be it would have made sense. But since Cooks is getting paid pretty much the same thing as Hopkins, yeah. that's why the move was so idiotic. But uh. <laughs> In terms of their wide receiver talent, I don't think their wide receivers are not talented. They, they have a really good wide receiving corps when they're healthy. With that being said, I, I don't see them competing anytime soon. You see the Jaguars are going to draft the quarterback, probably going to be Trevor Lawrence. They're coming. They have a lot of cap space. Titans, the Colts are probably going to trade for Carson Wentz, or if not, get a quarterback as well. They have a good roster. And they were already a 10-11 mm-hmm. win team without mm-hmm. a quarterback, realistically. And and the Jaguars are coming. So when you talk about the Texans, they don't have a first or second round pick this, this season. I mean, this draft. Next season, they get their picks back, but they don't have cap until like three years from now. So how are they going to build this team? They have to hit on draft picks that that are like in the sixth or seventh round. Like they really have to draft historically well for and, them to turn it around. And not to mention, you said um, the Jaguars are coming, but it's not just their division. The Browns are still going to be around. The Ravens are still going to be around. Pittsburgh is still here. The Miami, Dolphins, are, the the Dolphins are coming. The Bills are here. The Raiders are coming. The Chiefs. So, like, it's still like just not just their division, but the AFC is collectively getting better. So they have to figure out what they're going to do. And like you said, they're going to have to hit on seventh eighth, six-round picks, because that's going to be a tough thing to do, but they're going to have to do that to be competitive. Yeah, and you mentioned the Hopkins trade. Although I didn't agree with them trading Hopkins, I could see it it would make sense, like you said, their receiving core isn't terrible. It would make sense if they went out and got even an okay return for it. But what they got in return was just inexcusable. You can't trade a guy like DeAndre Hopkins for that return price, and Mm -hmm. that really killed them because now – 
they lost him for nothing, and they gave up so many assets in that Tunsil trade that it's like they have nothing. Like you said, they don't have their first and second rounder this year, which would have been, you know, the number three overall pick and essentially a second first round pick because it would have been so high in the second round, and they have no cap space for a while. So I don't know how they're going to figure out the situation. They're going to have to try to unload some caps somehow, but nobody really wants to take on bad contracts in the NFL without picks, and the last thing they want to do is give up their picks because they're going to be terrible. That's why I think that, I think that J.J. Watt gets traded or cut this offseason. If, if they cut or trade him, they'll say, I think, about $13 million in cap, and they'll still be under the cap with that. Like they yeah. won't really they create anything, any cap space. But you know, JJ Watt for them, realistically, it's like why pay him this much if we're not going to be competitive? You yeah, know? So exactly. I think that a winning team. that probably is going to happen. Um, I think what the Texans need to do moving forward: number one, hire defensive-minded head coach. And this is what I said. I said this in a previous video. My top candidate, top two candidates, are Robert Sala. And Nick Nick Eberflus from uh, the Colts, and I, I don't know if it's pronounced Eberflus or Eberflus, whatever it is. I'd go with Matt though over Sala because Robert Sala, even though I think he has more leadership qualities, he's he's very energetic on the sidelines. The 49ers have a talented defensive unit. I mean, top to bottom, their corners, their secondary, their linebackers, their defensive line—they're all amazing. When you look at what Matt has done with the Colts. Like the, the Colts have a pretty good defensive line. Okay. Their corners are, are good, you know, above average. Their linebackers are, are okay. Darius Leonard's a star. But the only stars, like st- they're stamped as stars on the Colts defense, are DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard. You know, Xavier Rhodes revived his career with them, and Kenny Moore is okay. But when you look at the 49ers, I mean, you have uh, – Sherman. Bosa. You have Fred Warner, Bosa, Eric Armstead. You had D Ford was there, Richard Sherman, Jason Verrett was there. Like they he revived his career too. Yeah, like they have a <laughs> bunch of talent there. So I think Matt is a better coaching candidate because he's shown that he can turn defensive players that are not as notable in the NFL into good pros, and he can develop young players. You've seen what he did with Blackman, with the Colts, the safety. He was a rookie this year. He was really good. So I think I'd go with him. They need to go defense because I think offense, they'll be fine. Yeah, I, and you actually took the words right out of my mouth. I have written down, I would look to hire a defensive-minded head coach because that's a unit that needs work. And, and if you can even have a solid defense, you don't even have to worry about the offensive side of the ball because we look at what Deshaun Watson has done the past few years. You know He can handle the offense. The offense will be fine as long as Deshaun Watson is at the helm and you give him decent weapons because I think his weapons this year were were good they were okay they were nothing special but he did more than enough on the offensive side of the ball to win football games like you said the number was eight one score games they lost so he did more than enough on the offensive side of the football for them to win games the defensive side of the ball is what needs work so I think a defensive minded head coach is what they need to target I know they requested a meeting with Eberflus so Maybe that is their guy, but they should definitely look defensive side of the ball because they have a good enough offensive mind at quarterback that they need all the help they could get. All the focus needs to be on the defensive side of the ball, especially because it's not like they can make these big time splash moves to upgrade it. You know, they need a great mind to come in there and turn things around from the inside out. And the Rossi isn't bad, Tim Kelly. Yeah. He's not he's not bad. You know, you could probably keep him in the building and bring a 
new co- defensive minded coach. It's going to take a, a historically great. I don't. I don't even know if I would call it a rebuild. I would call it maybe a retooling. But it's going to take a historically great few seasons from the front office and coaching staff to turn this team back into a real contender. And that's crazy to say because they have in my in my account a no doubt top five quarterback in the league at the helm. And anytime you have one of those, it should not be that difficult to compete. But when you put yourself in a situation like they have, you make it difficult on yourself. I would say top three. I would definitely not argue with you. I mean, who who do you definitely have above him? I would Rogers, say Mahomes. Pat- Mahomes. Patrick really Mahomes. Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is. I think Rogers. I think Rogers had a better year. No, I think he's better than Russell Wilson. I would say really? Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I would say Patrick Mahomes is definitely above him, and that's the only guy I would say is one hundred percent above him. Then you get into wow. a second category with Wilson, Rogers, Watson, Josh Allen. Is Maybe there. Josh Allen oh, has Josh, creeped into Josh that Allen's category. Yeah, but, but I, I, you know, he's no question a top. Anybody who questions he's a top five quarterback is not. No, I, just I think I we're still you guys looking at top three that fast. I, I think we're still looking at Russell Wilson through the lens of what he did in the first half of the year. Through this second half, he hasn't been what he's been. Like his efficiency has went really down. And I'm not taking anything away from him, but I don't think he's the consensus number two quarterback in the NFL like a lot of people rank him as. Well, what about Rodgers? <clears throat> I think, yeah, Rodgers is probably there, too. Like, I, I think it's a debate. Rodgers is just historically efficient. He's great. We're going to talk about Rodgers in a bit. Actually, we could talk about Rodgers right now. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, a, if he's he, – Because he, like, this is the next topic. Who is your NFL MVP? Who who do you think deserves the MVP? In my opinion, it's between three guys. It's between Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen. Any other year – I think, like, if this was last year, I think Josh Allen probably wins it over Lamar, and I think Mahomes probably wins it over Lamar. But this year, I just believe that Aaron Rodgers has been so great, so efficient, that he deserves the MVP. When you look at what Rodgers has done, he's thrown 48 touchdowns and only five interceptions. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have thrown less touchdowns and more interceptions and Rodgers this season has a 121.8 QB rating, which is the most efficient, most that's the best QB rating since Aaron Rodgers did it early. I forgot what season, but Aaron Rodgers holds the record for the second most yeah. efficient season of all time, and now he holds the first with this season. And then, you know, everybody's arguing for these MVPs and these stats as well. Are you winning? Aaron Rodgers, they're a 13-win team. They have a bye. The Chiefs, they're a 14-win team. They have a bye. 14, 13, it's like the same thing to me. It's just one more win. So if you got if you clinch the bye and you have those numbers, I don't see why Aaron Rodgers shouldn't be MVP. He should be the MVP. I want you to go first because I have a question after. Yeah, and, and you listed the numbers, which I think are the top of the argument. You look at the numbers. Nobody has had as good a statistical season as he has had. But also when you think about the MVP award, you could look at it last year with Lamar Jackson. You could look at it in the NBA with Giannis winning it, James Harden not winning it, and, and losing it to Russell Westbrook a few years ago. It is a headline-driven award. Sometimes guys will get it just because of the storyline. You know, Russell Westbrook lost KD. He came out, he averaged a triple-double, and that gave him the edge in the MVP race. When you look at Aaron Rodgers coming into the season, there were a lot of question marks swirling. A lot of people doubted him. 
You know, he, he got off to a rocky start with Matt LaFleur last season. People questioned how that dynamic was going to work out. They drafted Jordan Love. Is this it for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Are they ready to move on? And then he came out, and he had one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback in NFL history. And the two guys that you mentioned, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, I don't think either of their teams have a, as glaring a weakness as the Packers' run defense. And he overcame that. I don't think that defensive unit is as good as the Chiefs' defense or the Bills' defense. I even think that the Bills and the the Chiefs have better weapons than the Packers do. You could argue that it, you know it's a toss up. I know he has Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, but beyond that, I don't know about MVS as a second option as a number two wide receiver. I think that wide receiver the the Bills and the Chiefs have a deeper wide receiving core. I don't think the Packers have that depth offensively. So I think situation-wise, storyline-wise, statistic-wise, all any way you look at it, any lens you look at it through, Aaron Rodgers has been the guy this season. And I don't think anybody should argue against him for MVP. Um, me and my brother, we have this argument all the time. He He's a Green Bay Packers fan. He loves to throw in my face. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP this year. Devontae Adams is the best receiver this year. And I have to give him props. I think Aaron Rodgers definitely deserves the MVP this year. When you look at... The stats, he has, the out of the big three names, he has the best QBR, he has the most touchdowns, he has the best completion percent. But I want to ask this. Does Derrick Henry deserve to be in that conversation? Any other year, yeah. But the quarterbacks have been playing so phenomenally well this year that I don't think he's he's top five in it, but yeah. he's not top so three. So even with, even with the 2K. He's the top non-quarterback. Okay. I think, I that, like I the think there's no is, question about MVP that. MVP is a pretty quarterback award i feel like running backs as it should be though yeah, in my opinion I feel yeah. like running backs don't really get their aside from ap obviously don't get their due diligence but derrick henry does he deserve to be in that conversation the, the year that ap wanted though i don't think there was any quarterback that was putting up this level of production i don't really rem- i can't even tell because you i think that when did he win in 2013 or 2014 I, was, I, I thought it was 12 let me check let me check i want to make sure i get this yeah right. because i think that year drew Brees. i mean you could just put the top five mvp candidates that year and you could probably see their yep. stats. Yeah. But, but like, in my opinion, the reason why I think Rodgers deserves it, and this is what I thought you were going to say, Jack, because when you mentioned the run defense, <laughs> I, I agreed with you, but I the thought he- I, I, I thought you were going a different direction. I thought you were, when you talked about glaring weakness, I thought you were going to talk about how the Packers' offense, they don't have a second option outside of Devontae yeah, Adams. And, and that's, I mean, you look at what he did with Robert Tunyon. A true Tunyon one, like this year. wide receiver, yeah. Like Robert Tunyon was their most reliable second option. And with any other team, does he become what he was this year? You know, I know he had a great season, but I think it was more a product of Aaron Rodgers being great than he was Robert on the team last year. Great player, you know what I'm saying? And, and you look at the Chiefs, they have Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. That team is loaded. Yeah, I could go on and on. The Bills, you know, their receiving core. I think it's Solid. one of the most underrated receiving cores in Cole the league. Cole Beasley, Diggs. So I think, I think, I think when you rank them, of course, the Chiefs are number one Bills in terms two. of weapons. Those are two. I, honestly, thinking about it now, I'm not sure. I think the Packers and the Bills are closer. Because of Aaron Jones and Devontae oh, Adams, about because of the running yeah. Back. yeah, I think that plays I think a huge part. Aaron, but he he catches balls out the backfield. I mean, they, so Aaron yeah. Jones did deal with some injuries this year too, though. So there were games I mean, that he didn't play with Aaron Jones. Okay. Devontae Adams missed two games earlier in the season, so he had to deal with injuries but too. Aside from the running backs, if you had to rank John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Stephon, John Diggs. Brown was hurt for a lot of the year. So if you had to, all right, so if you had to just rank Stephon uh, Diggs and Cole Beasley, they would both be right after Devontae Adams. Yeah, Devontae Adams yeah. is but yeah, yeah he, no, he's the he's, best. He's the best clear. one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be Diggs, then 
Beasley, even if, even if John Brown was health, not healthy, you would still put him ahead of the Packers yeah. secondary. So Yeah, but I think it's much closer because even though NVS is inconsistent, he's a great deep threat, and he, he really makes defenses stay on their toes because you always have to account for his speed. If he doesn't drop a lot of down – a lot of deep passes. He probably has way more yardage than he finished with this year. That's his fault. <clears throat> Jack, did you find the uh, the? I'm looking top for right candidates. Now. Let me see. Let me bro, try to find it. Come on, bro. This guy. All right. So it was 2012 that he won the MVP. 2012 MVP MVP finalists. NFL. Let me he check. He beat out Peyton Manning. Hmm. Peyton Manning came in second. Oh, really? I thought that it was, was Peyton Manning on the Broncos. I thought it was Tom Brady. Right in Indianapolis. I'm pretty sure Peyton Manning was. That was the year before or the year after he had like the greatest season ever. So the year before Denver. Yeah. So let me Last see. You said 2012, right? Yeah. So yeah, 2012. Peyton Manning had 37 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Yeah. So I mean, that's a that's a good that's season. Josh yeah. Rogers right, Rogers right now has 48 touchdowns to five. five. Interceptions. Yeah. That's so it's not even Josh close. Allen right now. Yeah. Josh Allen and right Josh Allen has rushing touchdowns too. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I think when he won it, quarterbacks weren't playing as well as they're playing this season. And it's also incredibly rare for uh, it, it. Even says here in this article, Adrian Peterson was the first running back to win it since 2006 when Tomlinson won it. So yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you the fact that Derrick Henry is in the conversation just goes to show. How incredible of a season. In, in order for a skills position player or defensive player to win the MVP, a, the quarterbacks of the league, the top quarterbacks have to have a statistically down, down year, year yeah. than years past. Like this year, a bunch of quarterbacks in any other year probably would have won it. Like Josh Allen probably wins it a year or two ago with these same numbers, and so does Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. Rodgers. And you still – Need to have a historical season like Derrick Henry had and put up a 2,000-yard season. Mm-hmm. Devontae Adams would even be a guy I would put in my top 10 MVP conversation. But. So yesterday, Washington faced Philadelphia. If Washington won the game, they won the division. Every Giants fan was hoping for the Bro. Eagles to lose <laughs> it was sick. so they can make the playoffs. But we all, we're going to get to what the Eagles did later on in the show. But right now, we're going to talk about the Washington football team's quarterback, Alex Smith. And this, I think this award pretty much has his name written all over it. The Comeback of the Year Award is between two people, Big Ben and Alex Smith. And to me, if if you want to get into statistics and you want to say all this, then oh, probably it's Big Ben. Yeah. But I think, ben. I think this award is much deeper than that because Alex Smith – he had 17 surgeries. He was facing life or death with this injury. He had a, oh my gosh. I was watching a documentary today, actually, before the show. <clears throat> they were thinking about amputating his leg. That's how bad it was. And for him to recover from that gruesome of an injury, to come back and play, even just to come back and play in practice, not even start, but for him to be Trump the starter because Dwayne Haskins was miserably bad, Kyle Allen got hurt, and Alex Smith started. I I think it's safe to say that the Washington football team does not make the playoffs name, if Alex Smith does not play at quarterback. Yeah, this can, season for the for the options that they yeah. had, like he's the one that held it down, held the offense down. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the means, but we also have to take into account that this offense isn't 
extremely talented. Yeah. yeah. And, and Antonio Gibson dealt with injuries. Terry McLaurin dealt with injuries. So he wasn't even dealing with this offense at full strength, oh. let alone, you know, what they are as a, as a whole unit. And like you mentioned, it's not the comeback and have the best season award. It's the comeback player of the year. The award is about the comeback, not the season that you have. And I think any other season, this would be Ben Roethlisberger's award. And he definitely deserves a shout out for what he's done. I was one of the biggest doubters of how he was going to come back. You know, you're getting Tommy John surgery. That is a reconstructive arm surgery for him to come back and have as good of a season that he's had lead the Steelers or help lead the Steelers to as good of a season that they've had. He deserves a bunch of credit, but he even said it himself. This is Alex Smith's award. There's no question about it. They should name the award after him because there is, you know, and you mentioned it, J.J. Watt tweeted it earlier in the season. He could have come back and not played a single snap all year, and he deserved the award because 17 surgeries. After his first surgery, he was dealing with a flesh-eating bacteria that they thought was going to get to his vital organs. It, like you said, life-or-death situation. And to come back from that and not only be able to walk again, be able to run again, get back into football shape, come back, rejoin the team, and then win the starting job. And when he came back and he led them to that 3-1 and one record in the stretch where he was starting, that was the turning point of the season. And he really made this a different team than what they are. And yes, they're going to the playoffs because of their great defense, but without him... What option are they turning to? They had nobody else at quarterback, and he did well enough to get them to the playoffs. So all of that combined, it's a storybook tale. Like You could not write a better script than what has happened to Alex Smith. So I think it's a runaway. Like This is the case-in-point comeback player of the year award. I hate when you voted. I mean, um, you know, I, I get what you're saying, and it's, it's hard. I feel like both guys deserve the award. Because when you look at the history of the award, Ryan Tannehill won it after his injury, but he had a phenomenal season. You look at Peyton Manning when he won it, came back after breaking his neck. He had a record-setting team with Denver. It's it's tricky because Big Ben, he got hurt. He comes back. They become a, we could all agree, AFC contender in, in the AFC. And then you got Alex Smith, who, like you said, had 17 surgeries. They, they was thinking about amputating his leg. And then he comes back. He even just gets on the field. is a phenomenal thing. I honestly think either guy could get the award. I'm going to go take the 50-50 route. I think both guys deserve the award. I think for Big Ben, for his play on the field, the fact that he came back and he played well, people were doubting him. People were doubting Pittsburgh. They didn't think he would come back and still be good. I think he did. He was good this year, and they're a great team. And I think for Alex Smith coming back after all those doubts, talking about amputating his leg, which sounds crazy. I didn't even know that. He should get the award, too. I, I wouldn't be mad at whoever wins the award, so I'm going to play the 50-50 card. You're canceled for your statement. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in all honesty, I, 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 would be, I would be upset if he didn't win the award. I'm not going to yeah. lie. If, if Big Ben won it, I would be upset <laughs> because I think he deserves it. I watched, Like I said, I watched a documentary. I'm not going to lie. During Center Park, right. I did tear up a little I bit. Because I, I, I don't think I teared up because of what was happening. I think I teared up because of the sound score that was playing behind what was happening. Music has such an emotional effect on me. So when we talk about when I was watching the documentary and in it, there was a picture of what Alex Smith went through in his leg where you basically just saw the bone. You just saw the bone. Like his flesh, his skin around his bone wasn't even there. It looked like like a, a bear had bitten off his yeah. skin and you just saw the bone and they had to take basically like, I think it was skin or cells from other parts of his body 
to basically clear that up and make that like his leg again. It's completely insane. And I was talking to my dad about it yesterday for a guy to, to get that surgery and then be like, yeah, I'm going to go play football again where the same thing can happen again, or you can get hurt again. And he said that he wanted to do it because he wanted like to show his kids that it was like, you know, you know, anything is possible. And if you, you set your mind to it, you can do it. But just him coming back from that injury, I think he, he deserves this award. 100%. 100%. Alex Smith is one of my favorite players. I like to be yeah. Kansas City. And it's not it's not even like he came back and he played terrible. He came back and legitimately led this team to a playoff spot. And, and it, you know, it wasn't an easy road. It's not like they ran away with the division. He had to come in and grind it out against the Giants who turned things around at the right time. The Cowboys who made a late run. It came down to Week 17 having to get a win. And, and so if it wasn't for him... I don't think they're in the same position. So. And, and I'll talk. I'll talk about this too. We'll, we'll talk about Washington and Tampa Bay in the preview to, when we do the show. But it's, that's it's a bad no matchup for Tampa yeah. Bay. That's a bad matchup. Oh, your boys might get bounced. They won't get bounced. They'll win that game. Then they face Green Bay if they win, and then they'll beat Green Bay. They'll pummel Green Bay, and then they'll be in the NFC Championship. And depending on that matchup, they'll go to Super Bowl, and then they'll we win. We have this one recording. I know. I, I think me. that I think that that game, and again, we'll talk about it if next episode. If they face Green Bay, they'll pummel them. I think that that game, the Buccaneers <laughs> and the Washington football team, is going to be much closer than people think it's going to be. That's my personal opinion. I think people have been sleeping on the Washington football team all season long. That defense is a scary unit. And if anybody's going to beat them, it's – the Buccaneers, but we've known the Buccaneers all season long. They're like Jekyll and Hyde. You don't know what they're going to come out as. I think they're going to have a great postseason run just because I think Tom Brady is firing on all cylinders. But that Washington football team, man, I would not want to see them. And before we end off this segment, I just want to – this is not a paid promo. This is not no promotion. But if you guys are watching or you're listening and you do not have ESPN+, Plus. Get the free trial or get it for like a week. It's only five dollars a month. Yeah. Yeah. Get it and watch that Alex Smith documentary. It's called Project Eleven. Maybe you can find it on YouTube or online or whatever you I'm not I'm not telling you to pirate it. <laughs> you can maybe you can find it online, but it's called Project Eleven and it's a great documentary, really well made. I think if, if you should if you think about getting something like, like ESPN plus, that would be the reason to get it for a little while just to watch that because I think it's that great of a documentary. So now we're going to move on. A player, comeback of the year, Alex Smith. We Most of us agree that he's he's probably going to win it. Riv has kind of a 50-50 opinion. But yesterday news came out that Larry Fitzgerald is retiring from the NFL. I'm pretty sure at, he played 17 seasons in the NFL. <clears throat> Even though he wasn't the player that he once was this past season, I think he had a very down year. But, you know, he is very old. We can't discredit that he had a phenomenal career. Second all-time in receiving yards, 17,492 yards. Second all-time in receptions, 1,432. Six in receiving touchdowns all-time with 121. And a phenomenal stat is that he has more tackles than drops in his career, which means either that he doesn't drop the ball or his quarterbacks throw a shit ton of interceptions. It's one of the two. But he had an amazing career, and, and him retiring just kind of, you know, shows me that I'm getting old. I remember I remember buying the new Madden, and he was on the cover with Troy Polamalu with Madden 10. You're 21, bro. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, that was 11 years ago, though. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I get it. But That was 11 years ago. I mean, wow. after hearing all those stats, I got to ask you guys. Got to ask you guys. Where where does Larry fit on the wide receiver list? He ranks better than everybody the Eagles have ever had. You're a Jets fan, bro. That's it, your guy up there. It, it's tough for me to rank wide receivers. There's been so many great receivers, but, you know, I think he's definitely top 20. Oh, wow. I top would, 10. I would go higher than that. You know, I, 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 I would have to take some time to sit down and list them out, but I would not, I would not be surprised to see him land in my top 10 after I made my list, just because the longevity, the numbers that he yeah. put up, I, it's a shame that he never got to win a Super Bowl because if there's anybody that deserves it, he's the type of guy that deserves a ring. He almost did. A Kurt Warner. Yeah, a grinder, a a, per, a great leader in the locker room. I mean, you've heard countless stories over his long career of things that he's done and relationships that he's formed, guys he's helped out, what he's done for that organization. And it, it's a shame that he has not gotten a Super Bowl. I can remember that Super Bowl against the Steelers. You know, That's 17 years of one he, he is really... One of the best figures in my NFL watching experience. Like I can't imagine an NFL without him. Even though he didn't have a great year this year, like I can't picture the NFL without him. We both talked. I'm, I'm oh, thinking you're about my question. Oh, where do, where do I rank him? Yeah, I don't know if if I have him as high as other people have him. I think most of those like second all time in. Receiving yards and receptions is due to more of him playing so long, yeah. but Jerry Rice, of course, is number one. Consensus. Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, and T.O. I get those. Are Randy Moss, T.O. Then you get into the guys like it's so hard. Calvin Johnson, I rank yeah. Calvin Johnson AB. over him. Antonio Brown is his best. Like you know, maybe I'm not sure about AB mm-hmm. so much. I think Julio Jones all time. I I would take him at his prime over Larry. It depends on how you judge it. So so I don't know. Like wide receiver is such a tricky position, but in terms of like he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. There was a stretch where he made seven straight Pro Bowls from 2007 to 2013, and we mentioned he. This was a 17 year career all with the Cardinals, and in 17 years he had 14 different quarterbacks that threw a pass to him or started a game. Carson Palmer, Kurt Warner, Josh McCown, John Skelton, Matt Leinart, Kevin Cobb, Derek Anderson, yeah. Drew Stanton, Blaine Gabbert, Sean King, John Navarre, Richard Martell, Brian St. Pierre, Max Hall, and Kyler Murray. I forgot about him. And Josh Rosen. So that's like that's 16, actually. And there, I, I'm pretty sure Sam Bradford started, too, like a game. There are really only like one or maybe like two or three quarterbacks on that list that are legit starting quarterbacks in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, I think Carson Palmer. Ooh, somebody said Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison, yeah, he's up there too. Like, But, yeah, you, Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer, Kyler Murray. Those would be the three, right? Like, those are the three guys that, you know, were solid. Yeah. But, like, outside of everybody else, everybody else is pretty mediocre. Exactly. Matt Leinart was bust. He was Mediocre is be being kind. But I, I think when you nitpick it and you start looking, like, at a list, there are a bunch of guys who had a better prime who might have been better receivers than him. But when you look career-wise, he's had one of the greatest careers of any receiver ever. You know, I, I think he would be in my top 10. I, again, I would need to take some time to list them out and go one by one and figure out where I would put him. But I think he would be top 10 all time. Nah, like 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 Joel, like you said, I think this is just brushing us into a new era of the NFL, you know, bringing in the new guys, the Justin Jefferson. When did Stephon, I say that? 
No, I'm saying like how we're getting old. Oh, and like we're just yeah, walking into crazy. a new era. Like Julio's getting up there in age. AB's pretty old. Like we're starting to see these new young guys getting in, and it's just a sign of a new era to turn. So I like I like this era, man. I can still remember the I had the Wii and the what? Madden had. Uh, you had Madden on the Wii. Yeah, yeah, you could throw it with the stick. That's yeah. I liked it. It was fun. It had Larry Fitzgerald and I think Troy Polamalu on the cover the year after that oh, yeah. Super Bowl. Like in 2010, that was Madden yeah. 10. Uh, butted heads. That was, that, that was, no, Madden 10. That was, Madden 10 was a year that Polamalu and Fitzgerald yeah. were on the, that was a year that the, the game added, EA added the. That was 10? Yeah, that was a year, that was a game that EA added the function where you could fight for the fumble. That game was crazy. I remember yeah, like that the was my favorite mode. Game. The franchise mode had that like mi- little mini map. I mm-hmm. used to love that game, and I it just feels like just yesterday, you know, he was in his eleven was Drew Brees in the Super Bowl, and now eleven years later we're sitting Payne here. Hillis. I remember him. Oh yeah. God, <laughs> not yet, bro. I- I've gone Madden every single year since two thousand. Eight? No, 2009. The, the year that Vince Young was on the cover. Six. I, seven, I remember. Seven, that's nah, that's eight. That's not eight. Yes, it is. Eight, no. You don't know your Maddens, bro. I that's think the first eight. the first one I had was Sean Alexander on the cover. See? Look. That's eight? Madden 2008. That's Vince, Vin, that's Vince Young. Seven was Sean Alexander from Seahawks. That was my first uh, one. Yeah. And then that was, I, I had I had that one, but Sean Alexander was my first Mine's, one. But I started with Chris Johnson. It's just crazy to think Chris that. Chris Johnson. I think he might have been nine. Yeah, I Chris Johnson. It might have been. It was yeah. his two K year. Yeah, but it's just crazy to think that, that was eleven years ago now. Nah, bro. Madden two thousand nine was Brett Favre on the cover. I don't think Chris Johnson was ever on the cover. You might be, you might be thinking of 08. I might be thinking of Vince Young, right? No, yeah, yeah. Titans jersey was Vince Young. Yeah. I might have thought he was yeah. okay. Okay. Oh, my voice just cracked crazy. <laughs> But it, it again, it's just crazy to think that, that was eleven years ago, and there were so many great moments. I could remember the the was the playoff game against the against the Packers, I believe, when it took the Aaron Rodgers hail mary for the win. But Larry Fitzgerald had a crazy game in that one, and I can remember I was at my friend's house, and we just stayed standing watching the TV because I was about to leave, but I was like, let me watch the end of this game, and it ended up being one of the greatest finishes that I've ever seen. And I, it's just so many great moments, including him, that he's been a part of his NFL career. Like, it's crazy to see him now leaving the game. Yeah, I mean, I hate to bring another guy into this, but what Larry Fitzgerald has done throughout his career just kind of gives more appreciation for what Jerry Rice did. I mean, Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald is old, and we saw how his production really diminished. Jerry Rice was like 40 years old getting 1,000 yeah. yards receiving. And he played like 22 seasons? Yeah, he played a lot. Jeez. You know? He has like four thousand more yards it's receiving than Larry. Receiving yards. Yeah, he has twenty thousand receiving yards. Far and away the goat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he really is. But yeah. you talked about how we're moving into a new era of wide receivers, and the one, the poster child for that right now is is Justin Jefferson. He just broke the rookie receiving record, which was held by Randy Moss. Um. He had he has a thousand four hundred yards flat on the season, seven touchdowns, and eighty seven point five yards per game, eighty eight receptions, and he didn't even start the first two games. He finished seven games with one hundred yards receiving, and even though he passed Randy Moss for most yards as a rookie, Moss in his first year in the league was an All Pro and had seventeen touchdowns receiving. For as good as Justin Jefferson is right now, he has seven touchdowns receiving. 
Randy Moss had 17 his rookie season. And Justin Jefferson also made the all the, the Pro Bowl this year as a rookie. He's only 21 years old. And I think me, me definitely for me, like I was wrong about him. I didn't think he was going to be this good. I thought he was going to be okay, but I didn't have him as my number one receiver ranked. No, I don't think anybody did in, in such a strong receiving class. I mean, you could list off, you know, a murderous row of receivers. And I don't think that anybody would have had him at number one. But, you know, one thing that I think you could use it as an argument for him or against him this season, he also had to split those touches with Adam Thielen on the other side, who was another one of the best receivers in the NFL this season. So, yes, while it took some of the attention off of him and he didn't have to face the double teams that other receivers might have to face or, you know, the double teams that he would have had to face had he not had Adam Thielen on the other side. Adam Thielen also had a crazy statistical season, which took away from his numbers. So overall, I, I think he had an incredible year. I was just I just saw a video on TikTok a couple of hours ago of the Vikings war room. And, and right before their pick was the Eagles. They took Jalen Rager. Stop, stop, and stop. Not, not to rub it <laughs> in, but... You know, they were already thinking about different picks. They were talking about cornerbacks, and the pick came in, and, and they just started laughing. Like, they were, uh, they, they couldn't believe that he fell into their hands, and it was the best thing for him. Now he goes into that offense. He was a perfect fit there. You know, they had that two-wide receiver system last year, so he slid right in, and, and it just happened to be the perfect marriage for both of them. He is just, he's a technician. His route running is out of this world for a rookie, and, and you know, I can't wait to see where his career goes from here. I remember I, I remember this day like it was like yesterday. I remember me and Joel was talking about the draft, and Joel was giving me like 15 to 20 receivers. Like he was breaking the draft down from he's like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. I remember he, he told me about Jalen Rieger. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy into what Joel's talking about. Jalen Rieger's this, that, and the third. And then I heard about Justin Jefferson, and I was just like, why shouldn't we pick this guy? I feel like this guy could be better. We pick Jalen Rieger, they get Justin Jefferson. Season later, we see how that works. This guy, he's he's just incredible. He's a great player, and I like how he plays. But like you said, Adam Thielen helps him out. But the same can be said for Chase Claypool. The same can be said for CeeDee Lamb. Like, there's guys, there's there's other rookie receivers who play. Like, Devon Mooney, I know people yeah. like him in Chicago. He has a number one. So there's other guys who benefit from these other receivers. I think this guy just showed that he's probably going to be their number one receiver for yeah. years to come. I think he surpassed Adam Thielen in a sense. I think other guys still got to get it going. Like CD, he benefited with Michael Gallup and Mari Cooper. So I, I, I think that's a knock on him in a sense, but I think it's who, more, you know, shows, you know, how for him to have that season yeah. with Adam Thielen on the other side, I think he's the only guy that really was at least neck and neck with that star wide receiver that he had. Rather than you look at guys like C.D. Lamb, he had statistically the third best season on that team. Around the league, other wide receivers had great years, but their numbers were nowhere near on par with a guy like Adam Thielen. Justin Jefferson was that dude up as a top 10 receiver in the league this year. Not rookie receiver, a top 10 receiver in the league this year. So, you know, like you said, it could be a knock on him, but I think it just shows more how developed he is at this age. The fact that they trusted him, with that many targets, you know, that many big plays, I think it goes to show how far advanced he is at this point. You know, when you trade a receiver as good as Stephon Diggs, you don't know if you're going to replace that production. And they did that and more. Like, they, they replaced Stephon Diggs with somebody who I think is probably better than Justin Jefferson. And the biggest knock of him coming out of the draft was that he played with Joe Burrow. 
And I think what really hurt his draft stock was that in the national championship game, the guy who stole the spotlight was Jamar Chase. Yeah, a lot of people said he wasn't even the best receiver mm-hmm. on his team. Was the guy who stole the spotlight, Jamar Chase, who was going to be in the draft this season. And Justin Jefferson kind of was in the shadow of Chase that, that game. That, you know what's funny about that, though? That's kind of like what happened to Devontae Smith in Alabama last year when he was playing with that big, yeah. that big receiver. And then this year he showed out that he might actually be the best out of all of them. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the thing with, with Justin Jefferson. That's why I think his draft stock kind of went down a little bit. But, I mean, this receiver class as a whole was was Man. phenomenal. I don't think Jay Judy has gotten a fair shot yet, but I think he's an old, he's a good receiver. Henry Ruggs, the thing about Henry Ruggs is that he had a high bust potential because we kind of knew he's only mocked this high because he's super fast, right? And he hasn't been that guy you know, he hasn't. Yeah, he's been hurt. He hasn't been that guy. But then you look at Denzel Mims, who's been really good for the Jets, and he hasn't really played much. But you look at Chase Claypool. You look at a guy like Darnell Mooney, who's been phenomenal. And there's a, a list of guys C. I can D. name Lamb. too: C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, yeah, Lavisca Chanel. You have a guy that I think once he gets his shine, he's going to be really good. Van Jefferson with the Rams. Like there's a bunch of guys, a bunch of rookie receivers. Gabriel Davis with the Bills. Like, this receiving class was stacked. It really was. And for Justin Jefferson to be the best one, not only in this receiver class, but he's probably a top seven wide receiver right now, it shows a lot. It really does. Yeah, no, I just can't get over the fact that, like I said before, he wasn't just a great rookie receiver. Like, he was a great NFL receiver this year. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people go through that sophomore slump, but a lot of the things that he does are not something that, changes like he is just a spectacular route runner and that's not something that's going to change next year and that's the toughest thing to guard in a receiver you know I know athleticism is a thing that catches more of the eyes but route running is what gets you open and And he did that consistently this season and if you want to watch just how good Justin Jefferson is I wouldn't even say just watch the games I'd say go on YouTube search up Justin Jefferson Brett Coleman Brett Coleman does like a great breakdown on Jefferson his route running which you just mentioned but also how he studies the game and he studies opposing cornerbacks to when he matches up with them. And he just breaks it down perfectly. And it just goes to show how much work Justin Jefferson puts in week in and week out, not only on his technique, but also on his film study and how he does analyzing these opposing cornerbacks that he's going to get matched up with. So another rookie who's doing phenomenally well. I know that you guys are waiting on the Tua topic. It's coming after this one. I just want to hear you. It's coming after this one. This is the cop. Once we, this is Justin Herbert topic. Once we finish with this one, we're going to talk about Tua. Justin Herbert, he had a phenomenal rookie season. You look, these are the the records that Justin Herbert broke as a rookie quarterback. Total touchdowns, he had 36. Passing touchdowns, he had 31. Completions, he had 396. 300-yard passing games, he had eight. Multiple touchdown passing games, he had 10. Three touchdown passing games, he had six. And he was only 39 yards short of the passing record for a quarterback. And I think what's phenomenal about his season is that he had a high workload. He was passing a bunch of times a game, and he was still very efficient, highly efficient. And the only other quarterbacks as rookies that were really efficient were Dak Prescott, Big Ben, RG3, and Russell Wilson. And all of them had a phenomenal running game. Dak had Zeke. 
Um, RG3 had Alfred Morris, who was a rookie that year too. And Russell Wilson had Marshawn Lynch. I, I believe it was Marshawn Lynch. So it's like Justin Herbert didn't have a great running game, was asked to throw a lot, and he delivered. And this topic is going to be about what do you think is the best way for the Chargers to build around Justin Herbert and talking about who they should hire as a coach, what should they do in free agency, and et cetera. I'll start with you, Jack. I think that first and foremost, well, the the best thing that they could have done this offseason already happened, and that was firing Anthony Lynn. When you look at what happened this season, they lost seven one-possession games. Three of those games were losses of three points or less. So even with as bad as a job as, as Coach Anthony Lynn did and as bad as that defense was, they were still right in almost every game this season. They were in shootouts with some really great teams, starting with the Chiefs in, in like his second start, I believe it was. It was his first or second start, and he played incredible all season long. So I think first and foremost, they had to fire Anthony Lynn, which they took care of. And I said it before with Deshaun Watson. I'll say it with Justin Herbert. I think it's most important to hire a, def- a defensive-minded head coach. You said this a couple of weeks ago, and you hit the nail right on the head. I think that the offense is in good shape right now. They have great weapons. They have Justin Herbert, who seems to be a, a top talent in the league at the quarterback position over the next couple of years. I don't think their line is terrible. I, I don't think they were that good this year, but I think they have potential. They were dealing with some injuries, so if they get back healthy, you know, I don't think that line is in bad shape. Um, I think Pep Hamilton at the quarterback coach with uh, Justin Herbert is a great combination there. So on the offensive side of the ball, I don't think that needs the focus, just like I was saying with Deshaun Watson and the Texans offense. The defensive side of the ball has a lot of talent, so it's pretty incredible how bad of a unit they were. I know they were dealing with some health problems, so hopefully, first and foremost, they get back healthy, but second of all, if you bring in a good defensive mind, a guy like you mentioned it a couple weeks ago when we did a segment on him, Robert Sala would be a great guy for this unit. When we were talking about him with the 49ers, they have a lot of talent in San Francisco, but they also have a lot of talent on this Chargers defense, so he can come in, execute a pretty similar game plan, and if you could even get that defense to an okay level with the level that Justin Herbert performed at, and you're bringing back a lot of those guys this year, they don't. I, I think if you bring back at least a similar core, they should be in fine shape, but it comes down to the head coaching decision. If they get hit on that, I don't see any reason why they're not contending you know, in a season or two at most. Yeah. Yep. Well, I was doing, like I said, 2021, I'm on a new vision, so I was doing some research today. And like you said, one of the main things they did was fire Anthony Lynn. I think with all the mistakes that they made last year in terms of horrible special teams, blowing leads, I think this team definitely needed a new direction. And I, the name that keeps popping up is Eric Benini. The enemy. Yeah, the enemy. I think that's the guy who keeps popping up. They need an offensive coordinator. They need somebody who's going to unlock that inner demon in Justin Herbert. He already saw in his rookie season that he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. That team, like you said, is talented. They dealt with a lot of injuries on the defensive side last year. So you get a guy like Eric... The enemy. The enemy. <laughs> you get a guy like Eric Bieniemy in there on that offense. This team could definitely make some noise. You get some help on that special teams to stop making mistakes because that was one of their biggest problems last year was special teams. And then that defense, you know, Derwin James comes back. and People forget he was, he's one of the best safeties in this league. So you get him back, Chris Harris Jr., you get him back, get an injury-riddled season, Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa. You got it. Like, they have talent on that defensive side. They just have to play together and stay healthy. So I think if 
Everything plays in the shape. Everybody gets healthy. I think the Chargers can be definitely a team that can pop out and make the AFC playoffs. Jack, I know that I said that I would go with a defensive coordinator, but I'm going to change my take, and this is why. And, Riv, just to let you know, you got to talk closer to the mic. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm going to say. I know that Justin Herbert had a great rookie season, but the confidence that I have for him to continue that without having a really good offensive coordinator year in and year out is is uh, not as high as a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's already a pro. I'm more comfortable with the Texans going out for D.C. because Deshaun Watson is already developed. He's proven Herbert still needs to be paired up with a great offensive mind to unlock his potential. And for me, I think going with a defensive coordinator is a risk because you can hire an offensive coordinator, but we've seen in the past that those OCs stay for a season, maybe two, maybe three, then they're gone, then you're working with somebody new. When you look at the top quarterbacks in the NFL right now, Patrick Mahomes, he's paired up with a brilliant offensive mind in Andy Reid. Drew Brees, he's paired up with Sean Payton. Lamar Jackson, he's paired up with Greg Roman, even though that's an OC, but Roman's been there for a couple seasons, and he's getting head coaching opportunities right now. Then you look at also Aaron Rodgers. They brought in Matt LaFleur, an offensive coordinator, he had his most efficient season in his career. So I think the Chargers need to bring in an offensive coordinator as their head coach. Names to come to mind, Bienemy. I like Bienemy. I like Arthur Smith. I like Brian Dable. I really love Joe Brady. I think Joe Brady is, is a brilliant offensive mind. I'm cautious about him because he's only 31 to 32 years old. So for him to be a head coach is for, you know, it's kind of... Uh, the dude from the Rams, isn't he a young coach? Yeah, but I think Sean McVay has a distinct personality yeah. to him that he can get away with that. He's you special. Know, I, I'm not sure about Joe Brady's personality. Arthur Smith, I think he's a brilliant offensive mind, but in terms of leading players, I don't know how he is in that. I think Enemy has that characteristic to him from what I've seen in interviews and I've heard, and he's a brilliant offensive mind. You know, you talked about Robert Sala. I love Robert Sala's energy, and I love his his defensive mind, but in my opinion, is Robert Sala just another Anthony Lynn? Because you look at Robert Sala and Anthony Lynn, Anthony Lynn, nobody's saying he's not a great person. Nobody's saying he's not a great motivator. What's his problem? Time management, clock management. If Robert Sala was coming into a Chargers team who doesn't have the same talent that the 49ers have on their defensive side, is he going to come in and just be a motivator, a player's coach that the players love, but he messes up in clock management? That's my concern with him. You know, in my opinion, it's so hard to find a head coach because you need a head coach that can either lead men and have a great co- and have great coordinators like what the Giants are doing with Joe Judge right now and John Harbaugh with the Ravens, or a guy who's just specializes yeah on one specializes side on one side of the ball and just takes advantage of that. I'd go with an offensive coordinator. I think Eric Bieniemy should be the pick, and it'd be fun to watch. Now you go, you're in the same division, and the Chargers finish seven and nine. They finish second in the AFC West, even though the Raiders completely flop that place. You know they completely flop to to end the season. I think going with the offensive coordinator is the right move. They have the weapons on offense. You're going to get Tri Turner back. Pouncey is going to be healthy. Brian Bulaga, so they ha- they'll have better protection. I think they should go with Eric Bieniemy. 
the reason I, I think defense going a defensive-minded coach, I don't even think it has to be a defensive coordinator per se, but I just I feel like they need more focus on that defense because although they do have a lot of talent, there has been no consistency on that defense for the last few year for the last few years. So if you could even get that defense to an average level, they would have been a playoff team this year. They were, they were in so many close games, and you mentioned it. My biggest concern comes to time management and <laughs> and things like that. So I don't, you know, you could get into offensive-minded, defensive-minded, good leader, not good leader, whatever it may be. They just need to get a good coach, a head coaching mind in there. And Anthony Lynn, although, like you said, he was a great guy, uh, a player's coach. The guys loved him. He just wasn't a great head coaching mind. He messed way too many things up. And they need to get a great head coaching mind in there. And if they can do that, no matter what he specializes in, I think they'll be in great shape because of the talent on the roster. I, I, if they ran it back with the same team with a different head coach, I think they would have been a playoff team this year. And mm. in, in my opinion, it, I, I agree with you. I had to make the playoffs this year, actually. And I had to make it with Tyrod Taylor starting because yeah, I thought they were going to be healthy because Derwin James was out. So was most of their offensive line and Austin Eckler for a couple of weeks. So, you know, for me, the Chargers have the talent. And when you look at all the teams that have head coaching vacancies, the Falcons, the Lions, the Texans, the Jets, the Jaguars, the Chargers, the Chargers are probably the most lucrative because they have cap space, they have draft capital, they have that franchise quarterback. The Jets, it's still a mystery. You have to develop a QB. The Jaguars, you have to develop a QB. The Texans have Watson, but they don't have any cap space and nothing yeah. to work with outside of Watson. The Chargers have the full picture. Yeah, Falcons don't have any cap space. The Lions is kind of a mess of an organization. And while they have Stafford and Ryan, you're going to have to figure out the quarterback in both exactly. of those situations. Those two guys are not going to mm-hmm. be around. Like the Chargers have the quarterback. They have the talent. They have some money to play with. So I think that the Chargers can get any coach that they want. I think... Yeah, A lot of head coaches looking at that destination, and that's their number one option. Yeah, no question. I, I would say the same exact thing. They will have their pick of the litter, and everybody else will pick from there. And you could say, you know, I think they're, you can make an argument for almost any position as, as location number two, but I think the Chargers are the premier position right now just because you said it. It's the full picture. They have cap space to bring in talent. They have talent on both sides of the ball. They have a great, co- or, or at least a great young talent at quarterback who, you know, you could project to be a top five quarterback in the league over the next decade, and who else has that? You know, nobody else has that full package. You said it, the Jets and Jaguars, even though they both had the one and two pick, they're going to, you know, p- potentially get a great quarterback prospect in there. You don't know what a prospect is going to be. You know, they both have the cap space, they have the picks, but you had to figure out the quarterback. The Lions, the Falcons, you had to figure out the quarterback. Their money situation isn't great. And the Texans, although they have a generational talent at quarterback, their money, their picks are terrible. And their mm-hmm. talent isn't great beyond Sean Watson. So all those other teams have big looming question marks. I feel like the Chargers right now could be a playoff team with what they have. So I think it's the premier destination for a head coach. We talked about two rookies that played really well mm-hmm. in the rookie seasons. Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert both for their respective positions, shattered records. Oh boy! <laughs> a, a, a rookie, a rookie quarterback that didn't do so well to to end the season is is Tua Tagovailoa. 
And it brings me great joy to, wow. to, to it brings me great joy to mention to all these Dolphins fans that commented on my video that if you commented something negative, I want you to comment something positive. I want some apologies. I want some roses on my feet. Because I said this earlier on the show. I never called Tua a bust. I never said he was a garbage quarterback. I never said he was bad. I never said he was going to be bad. I said he was going to be Jimmy Garoppolo, which I don't think is a bad thing to say. I said he'll be a game manager. He won't be special. But the point that I actually made was that they will regret passing up on Justin Herbert, which I think should be a universal opinion. But Dolphins fans are delusional. You know, so... He had a horrible game. He threw three interceptions. He only completed 60% of his passes. And for all you Dolphins fans out there that criticize Justin Herbert, oh, he only gets his yards because he throws 60 times a game. Well, Tua threw 58 times a game, and he had three interceptions. So now you see what happens when Chan Gailey opens up the playbook, and you guys were excited that Gailey got fired, but actually they retracted their statement, and he's still there. So maybe, just maybe, he opens up the playbook for Fitz, and doesn't for Tua because he understands Tua's strengths and his weaknesses. And he knows if he tries to play Tua the same way he plays Fitzpatrick, Tua's going to play like this. Two of his interceptions were abysmal. Devontae Parker played. Mike Gesicki played. So he had his number one. He had a great tight end, too. To be fair, he had eleven. He had eleven gonna, drops. Wait, were you going to let us talk first, and then you went on your rant? Or are you going to go on your rant first? No, I think he's going to go on. His rant. The he one had, thing I want to say before you keep on, I think one of his interceptions was abysmal. Two of them, two of them I don't really blame on. No, him. Look, he had eleven drops by wide receivers. And listen, to this two was first five starts. The whole world was excited. He completed sixty one point five percent of his passes. He had a, he averaged one hundred seventy eight yards per game, a whopping one seventy eight yards per game. He had seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, 97.8 quarterback rating, and 6.3 yards per attempt. His last four starts, 68% completion. Oh, the completion percentage looks better, right? That's because he's dinking and dunking. He's only throwing to his running back. 220 yards per game, 229 yards per game, which is better. Four touchdowns, five interceptions. 79.7 79.7 quarterback rating and 4.9 yards per attempt. In this four-game stretch, Tua is averaging less yards per attempt than Derrick Henry had rushing for attempt the entire season. This is a quarterback doing this. And look, at Alabama, he was throwing to Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs. Those are all first-round receivers. Henry Ruggs got taken first last season. Jerry Judy was the second wide receiver off the board, I'm pretty sure. This season, Devontae oh, Smith's probably going to be the first wide receiver taken. Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle will be probably the second or third, regardless of the order. So in Alabama, he had a Hall of Fame receiving <laughs> group. I mean, these guys, these guys were the 2017 Golden State Warriors. They had Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Draymond. So look, this is my opinion on two. He has an average arm. He has limited mobility. He's timid when throwing. He's afraid to throw to guys who aren't wide, wide open. And from what I've seen, I don't see that leadership characteristic. You can get away with it if you're a Dak Prescott because Dak Prescott galvanizes his players and he's a leader. I haven't seen that characteristic from Tua. And in my opinion, the Dolphins, they should draft the quarterback with the third overall pick. No doubt about it. You should draft them. 
because the only other option, the only other options are Penny Sewell and Devontae Smith. You know, you can go that route, but one thing's certain, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields will be at number three. Are you going to pass up on Justin Fields if he's there? Oh. They they might haunt that. Uh. <laughs> are you gonna pass? Are you gonna pass up on Zach Wilson if he's there? My gut feeling is that the Jets take Zach Wilson. So then the Dolphins are gonna be faced with another decision: Do we pass up on Justin Fields? We pass up on a quarterback last year, and he turned out to be phenomenal. This might happen to us again. So in my opinion, you take a quarterback because even if a quarterback is a little bit better, it makes a huge difference to a team. You look at Jimmy Garoppolo, right? on the 49ers. We look at how great the 49ers are, right? But we see that Jimmy's holding them back. That Prescott, I would say, is, is better than Jimmy. Is he? Is there a huge gap between Dak and Jimmy? No. But Dak on the 49ers, does he not make them significantly better? That little bit of a jump in quarterback play makes a team that much better. Tua still has trade value. You trade him. You get the quarterback at three, and you still have a bunch of picks to play with, and you, you surround your new quarterback, that be Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, with a plethora of weapons, and you move on with your life. Brian Flores has a decision to make, and I think he'll make the right one and draft the quarterback. I'll go. <laughs> he just said a lot. Like, let, me, a lot. let me preface this by saying this. If the Dolphins were not picking at number three, this would not be a conversation. But the fact that they do have the number three pick – essentially for free, like it, it fell into their laps. It, it, you would be crazy not to at least think about it. And I'm not saying they have to, I'm not saying it, it is the decision that has to be made. You know, P- Penny Seawall is supposed to be the offensive chase young, a can't miss prospect except on the offensive line where the Dolphins have a weakness. So I think that would also be a great pick for them. But like you said, at number three, you're going to have one up. Well, Trevor Lawrence is going to go one, but you're going to have one of Zach Wilson or Justin Fields on the board. And so it makes a very interesting question. And the reason I say that is I, I've been an advocate all season long of, you know, making the jump to the NFL level in any season is a very difficult thing, especially in a season where, you know, he's coming off a major hip injury where he didn't play football for a year. He came into the NFL with no OTAs, no training camp, no preseason, whatever it may be, and he got thrown into a situation where I don't think a lot of people expected him to start at all this year, but they overperformed and they threw him out there because they thought he gave them their best chance to win. But what confuses me is because then you go out, you don't really let him throw down the throw the ball down the field. He he out of quarterbacks that qualify with in like 200 passing attempts. He was the third lowest on the entire list in deep ball attempts, which is 20 yards or more down the field. They did not open up the playbook for him. And, you know, it makes me wonder, do they trust him? Hmm. If they trusted him, why would they pull him out of two late-game comeback situations? If that's your guy, you know, that's not something that you do. Even if even if you don't think he gives you the best chance to win in those situations, that's your guy. You live and die with him. You know, you let him sink or swim out there because pulling him just destroys his confidence. So I just feel like you're looking at a situation right now. They kept Chan Gailey. If they had fired Chan Gailey, I would have said, okay, they made their decision. They're going to stay with Tua, and they're going to go with an offensive coordinator that they think can, you know, really get him to the top of his value. But now they say they're keeping Chan Gailey, we saw what Chan Gailey did with Tua this year. The report was false. Yeah, so way, yeah. so clearly, there's I, I personally don't see trust there. And, and I 
think that Brian Flores is a great coach. If he didn't agree with what was happening, he wouldn't let it happen. So I don't think there's trust in that Dolphins organization that he is the guy they thought he was. And as much as I would like to see him with a full offseason, with an NFL season under his belt, with that experience, getting another year of health, getting getting just that year in the NFL, get his feet planted, learning the offense, whatever it may be, the Dolphins are in a position where they're ready to win now. So they would be better served by a quarterback that's ready to go right now. And I think you're crazy if you don't consider a quarterback at number three overall. Do I think they go quarterback? I honestly don't know. This is one of the... I I debated on this back and forth because, like I said, Sewell is supposed to be a generational talent on the offensive line, which is a position that they need help, which makes it just as much of a difficult you know, choice to make as having Zach Wilson or Justin Fields on the board makes it. Because if you didn't have such a good tackle prospect on the board, I would be pretty confident they draft a quarterback. Because I would say that's one of their biggest positions of need right up there with offensive line. But it's it's going to be a very interesting decision. And I do not envy Dolphins fans for that one reason. They're going to have to hear about this speculation all the way until April. And... I don't think that anybody outside of the Dolphins organization themselves knows what they're going to do in April. I have a few questions for um, you, young man. You too, you can chime in too. <clears throat> so you talked about how you feel like two is not the answer, and you feel like with the quarterbacks coming in, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, you feel like those two are ready to go. They're more ready to go for Miami for the near future, correct? I think they have more potential than two. But... At the same time, do you think Tua was given the proper weapons to succeed in Miami? Because I feel like this season was a was a surprise for everybody in the sense that nobody seen Miami going ten and five, ten and six. So, do you think maybe built with the proper, like you said, because they have cap, they have draft picks? Do you think put in the proper players, get the proper weapons? Do you think Tua can thrive? Because you said it, Jimmy G is a game manager, but Jimmy G. Holding them back, they still went to a Super Bowl. And missed the throw that cost them the game. Absolutely, absolutely. But still, they went to a Super Bowl. They went as far as you can go in a season. So with the proper weapons, and even then, Jimmy G doesn't have many weapons. Offense has a great run game, but on the receiving side, he doesn't have many. So I'm saying if you get weapons around Tua, like good weapons. Sorry, sir. If you get weapons around Tua, do you think maybe the situation will look a lot better and he will look better in that situation? Look, I said it. I think that he's he's gonna he's a he could be a good quarterback. If you flood him with talent, of course, you'll, he'll be a good quarterback. And no quarterback that's drafted high usually is put in a great situation. Josh Allen a couple years ago wasn't. Baker's first year wasn't. Sam Donald wasn't. Um, you look at Josh Rosen definitely wasn't his first year either. So the reason why it's kind of different with Tua is because he wasn't drafted into a horrible organization. This team is changing the culture they 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 were a playoff team. They were a yeah. playoff team. And ten wins in other seasons gets you in the playoffs. And it's not like they don't have talent. I was like, just gonna say Miles think- Gaskin is the probably one of the best receiving backs in the NFL. Mike Gesicki is a top seven, top five tight end in the NFL. Devontae Parker, oh my gosh, Sam Darnold would have loved to have even him. Preston Williams is not a bad option. Yeah, he got hurt like- too. But even a guy that Dolphins fans laugh at, like Jakeem Grant. He might be a punt return specialist, but he's a very fast receiver. So they don't lack talent. You know, they have that talent. 
and in my opinion, I, I don't think you go tackle. I think you have to go receiver just because I think Tua's skill set. Really? I think Tua's skill set is get the ball out quickly, RPOs. So you need to draft receivers that can get open quick. So who would you go, Jamar Chase? I'd go Devontae Smith, the Heisman probably runner-up winner. But, you know, what What was your other question? Oh, um, do you think – because I feel like, too, with all the quarterbacks this year, right, I feel like Justin Herbert, he came out, he was firing, even though people wasn't that high on him in college because of the tape. I feel like everybody knew what they were going to see with Joe Burrow, and we saw that with Joe Burrow. He was great. With Tua, we didn't see he, – he got hurt in college. So he, we didn't see a lot of – we saw his previous stuff, but we didn't see him – for a year, he missed out. Do you think that injury still affects him in a sense? And he's still getting the rust off? It probably, yeah, it most definitely does. Tua, before his injury, was the most efficient quarterback, college quarterback in college football history. Yeah. So, you know, he definitely showed a lot. But I think when you transition to the NFL, it showed your physical limitations show more in the NFL. Now you see Tua looks very small out there. He's only six foot compared to guys that are like six four, six five, And... He doesn't have a very great arm. I just think that these quarterbacks like Fields, he's 6'3". Wilson is 6'3". Justin Fields, is he, he's very strong. He has a lot of muscle on him. He can run too, so you can do a lot of design stuff. I, I feel comfortable with Justin Fields, with Chan Gailey calling a designed run, Justin Fields getting tackled, and me not holding my breath. <laughs> I mean, did you see what happened yeah. to him on yeah, what was that was Friday? With Tua, was, with, yeah, with Tua, I wouldn't even think Twice. I wouldn't even wouldn't think about having him on a design. Oh my run. god! You know that was crazy. I and and, and I want to. I'll, I'll talk about Justin Fields during the Jets segment because you know, I want to get into what I think about where they're going to go. But you you said it. I just feel like Tua looked very. I don't even know if small is the right word for it, but he just seemed intimidated well, this year. Like he was making big throws at Alabama. He did that. I I don't have the numbers to back it up. I'm sure I could nah, find them that. somewhere. But, but, do you, but he was making big throws in the national championship game. He made but, a big throw, or or not? It wasn't the national championship game. It was the college football playoff semifinal. He made a huge throw, forty yards to win them the game. So like it's I I, I don't think it it might have been the championship game. I don't think he lacks the physical ability to do it, but there is some reason, whether it is the play calling or it is him, and I still can't figure out which it you is. You think it's lack of confidence because of the maybe, year? Maybe the year it out. is, but he, he's not throwing the ball downfield. I mean, you could look at the charts, you could watch the film. He doesn't throw the ball downfield. He, he Coming into Sunday, he only had attempted 17 passes down the field, and nine of them came in one game, and that was the best game he played all season long. So, And then when you look at the tape, Justin Fields and Zach Wilson have cannons for arms. You could get into their their flaws and their positives as passers, but both of them have bombs of arms. And you saw it from Justin Fields in the college football playoff game, the, the one pass that he un, unleashed to Chris Olave, I think, deep down the field, that was a bomb. That was better than any throw you've seen from Tua all year long. And I still think he has the skills to become a good NFL quarterback, but... It concerns me, this situation. I just feel like there's no confidence in him right now within that staff, especially from Chan Gailey, because when Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in, it's like they open up a whole new offensive playbook. I'll say this, but... um, Before you go, I want to say, so if they do, you think drafting QB will unleash some of that confidence back into Tua? 
No, I think you you replace Tua. You think he's just gone once you? Yeah, you trade him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no reason to keep. You could get good value for him out of a team that's in a situation where they don't have to win now. I'll finish it off on this. If if people are still even watching this far in the segment on the on the clip, watching so. This is what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna segue off of what you said. If the Dolphins did not have the third overall pick, this isn't a question. If they didn't have the Texans picking, where the Dolphins projected to pick like their original pick? I think they're at 18. Okay, 18. At 18, you're not getting Fields. You're not getting Wilson. You're not even going to get Lance. You'll, at most, Maybe at get best, Mac get Mac Jones or Trask. Hell no, you don't give up yeah. Tua for Mac Jones or Trask. Yeah. <laughs> but you got a chance to draft Wilson or Fields. It's much different. If they don't have this third overall pick, then this isn't even a question. You talk about moving up to get a receiver, but because you do, you got to think about the possibility because these quarterbacks have more potential. See, I don't speak on this just because I'm coming of a place of malice and that I want Tua to not do well or whatever because I think he can be a good quarterback. I'm saying this because you and I have firsthand experience with it. We had a quarterback in Sam Donald that each year we were never picking high enough to get a quarterback. After Donald's rookie year, we didn't have a chance to get Kyler Murray. If we did, maybe, you know, we think about it. it after Donald's second year, after this with Adam Gase, we, didn't, we weren't high enough in the draft to have an option of getting Tua or Herbert. I guarantee you if we were, the conversation would have been about replacing Donald. If we had the 15th pick in this draft, the conversation is not the Jets selecting a quarterback at number two. The reason it's a conversation is because we're selecting that high. We're selecting that high, and that's why we're going to get Wilson or Fields, I hope. And that's the same reason why the Dolphins should move off from two and they're going to think about it. And they're not going to have another chance like this for years because that defense is special. Brian Flores is a great head coach, and at worst, you know, I don't think they dip below – like a, a five or six win team for the next few years. So they're not going to be back in a situation where they're dropping, where they're drafting top five or so. This is a do or die chance for them to sadly, cut their losses. Sadly, first impressions matter. And to his first impression in the NFL, his first season, he's been benched twice. And in a final game to clinch a playoff spot, he threw three interceptions. That leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, Dolphins fans are probably even split on this decision now. And if, if, if Brian Flores was comfortable with benching Tua twice, what makes you think he's comfortable with not drafting a quarterback that he may see more potential in? Mm. I, I think Brian Flores is the type of coach that he's going to do what's best. And I hope that if they do have Fields or Wilson graded higher than Tua, they, they, they don't draft them just because they want to they want to hold on to their pride, you know, because if you draft a quarterback that high and he doesn't pan out and you pass on Herbert, there's a lot of pride in that. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of accountability on your part to own up to your mistake and to move off from your quarterback. So if they don't feel like two is a guy, hopefully they, they swallow the pride and they select the guy who they think can be better. Yeah. And my heart tells me that they draft the quarterback. I just have a feeling that that's what they're going to end up doing. Yeah. So, talked about the Dolphins. They have the number three overall pick. We don't know what they're going to do with that. It's now gonna we're interesting. Go- it's going to be really, really interesting to see. Now we're going to talk about the Jets. They hold the number two overall pick. And while that's exciting, I think what's even more exciting for the New York Jets 
is that Adam Gase is is finally gone. He he's finally fired. In two years with the Jets, he went nine and twenty three. They were thirty second in yards per game and off. They were thirty second in offensive yards in his two years there. In in twenty nineteen, they were thirty first in points. Twenty twenty, this past year, they were thirty second in points. So the offensive guru didn't live up to his name. Jamal Adams left. Le'Veon left. Williamson left. McClendon left. Robbie left. All players that we were extremely excited about going into this new coaching era that were supposed to be our building stones for the future with Donald as the franchise quarterback, but we all know that's not true. And the question is, do you think that Adam Gase is the worst coach in Jets history? I think he is, personally. And, you know, you could make arguments for some other guys. I know a lot of people like to make the argument for Rich Kotite, who had an even worse winning percentage as head coach. But I think that the reason he's the worst Jets coach ever is not as... It's definitely because of the record. And the record is what makes it stand out. But it's the way that they lost over these last two seasons. Because I think last year, the Jets had the talent to be a playoff team. And even this year, they had the talent to at least be competitive. You know, I know they had those two wins, and they were in a handful of other games. They had the talent to win football games. I, I don't think when you look up and down the roster, there's any question about that. But just the way they lost, the, the poor decisions that he made, coaching-wise and managing the locker room-wise. He ostracized star players. He, he hurt the culture that was trying to be built. And I don't think that he was the only one that had a hand in it. I don't think Mike McCagden helped with the decisions that he made going into his first season. But Adam Gase was far and away the problem. And I think if you gave the Jets a good head coach over the last two seasons, I think last year they could have at least been a playoff contender. Uh, you know, they were almost a playoff contender with Adam Gase last season. And then this season, I think they could have, they wouldn't have been in the same situation. Jamal Adams probably still would have been a Jet. Robbie Anderson probably still would have been a Jet. Le'Veon Bell. So they would have been a totally different team. But not only was it the losses, but just his handling of the head coaching position that made him so bad. On top of the fact that you look at the other candidates that were up for the job, a guy like Eric Bieniemy was the guy that I wanted, and now look he's led one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL the last two seasons, and he's a top candidate for the job now. I think with the – I'm looking like you can go off records, but Gase has only been there two years. You guys had a 7-9 and nine record with him, and then you were 2-14. and 14. That is probably the worst record you have had in the past decade. And like you said, Jets fans have talked about it for the past two years. You've been – one him out, one him out, one him out. The way you guys lose games, the way you guys walk in with game plans, it's, excuse my language, it's a shit show. And then when you see the way he's constructed, like you said, losing Robbie Anderson, get, essentially getting Le'Veon Bell, but getting him no help on the offensive end. So it's like, what did you get him for? Putting no weapons around Sam Darnold, essentially, when he is a good talent, he can ball. He just hasn't really had the right situation around him. I mean, Gase... When you look at it and all that, in two seasons, how bad he turned the Jets, you have to say he's the worst coach in history. I mean, Todd Bowles, he had you guys fighting. You guys were 10-6. You guys, at one point, you didn't have talent, but Gates had talent. And when you have talent and you don't win, it looks bad on the coach. It can't be looked on the players. It has to be looked on the coach. And when you have talent like you guys did with Robbie Anderson on them, you don't win. Got to be Gates, man. Got to be Gates. I mean, Robbie Anderson became a 1,000-yard receiver yeah. with the Panthers. And I, I imagine the receiving core of, of Robbie, Mims, and Crowder. That's 
a pretty damn good receiving core, in my opinion. Uh, a core that's not a bottom of the league. They're kind of middle in the pack. Dolphins fans are probably complaining about that type of receiving core, though, because they love to make excuses for quarterbacks. No, that's a good receiving but, uh, core. But, I mean, look, in, in, his, in Adam Gates' five years as a head coach, not even just with the Jets, with the Dolphins, too, his teams have been outscored yeah, no. by 544 points. His Wait, teams, what? His teams have been outscored <laughs> by 544 points. Teams have trailed after the first quarter by 210 total points. He's 35 and 48 career, 35 and 48, and his career losses have come by double digits. Um, 35 of his 48 career losses have come by double digits. 27 of his 32 career wins have come by one score. And Adam Gase is definitely the worst coach that I've lived through as a Jets fan. I mean, as a Jets fan, when I started watching football. I was very fortunate because I started really watching when when Rex Ryan became the coach, you know, just heading out of that Eric Mangini era. So I've been I've been there for Rex Ryan, Todd Bowles, you know. And even though Todd Bowles didn't do a great job, like I always felt like he cared about what was happening. He was a leader of that team, like and every week we went out and competed. I, I never felt like I felt with this Jets team. I, I didn't feel any hope with this team. I just Jets feel team. like like in the past two years, you guys have had the most drama in on the team. Even with Bowles there, like you didn't hear a lot about the drama in the locker room, guys wanting out and all that. With this guy though, it's like every week it's, 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 it's something new. And it's like, damn, bro, like it can't like if if ten people say something about you, it can't be wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like it gotta be you. So it's like maybe if a hundred are saying the opposite. <laughs> I don't know. Like at one point it gotta be you. And I feel like with all the drama and the circus going on in New York. It's just like, man, it, it got to be him, bro. Yeah, you know, I didn't live through the Richie Kotite era, so I can't really say that bro, you serious? who was worse or not. Hmm? Richie Kotite. Who was that? When was that? That that was the worst winning was like, percentage in Jets history. 1996 Him and Lou Holtz are the only two coaches in Jets history to have a lower winning percentage. What's his last name? Richie Kotite. Kotite. Yeah, you were 1-15 and in 3-13. and So, yeah, I mean... Definitely through what I've lived through, Gase has been the worst. The reason that we were so good last year is because the schedule that the Jets played was horrible, horrendous. So yeah, the fact you that beat the teams you were supposed to the beat. fact that the Jets went seven and nine against that schedule last year was embarrassing. Could have went nine and seven. It di- it didn't get enough uh, eyeballs on it that they went seven and nine because of how bad the schedule was, and, and this, the the record didn't look that bad. But when you saw it. It was glaringly obvious that there was a coaching issue. If the Jets rebuilt this the right way, what Buffalo was doing is what the Jets would have been doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've said it. Surrounding Josh Allen with talent. But in your guys' opinion, our viewers that are watching and listening, do you guys think that Adam Gase is the worst Jets coach in their team history? I would, one is pretty cool. I would, we. I don't think we've had forty people watching since NBA yeah, draft. So shout out no, to you guys. No, 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 no. So let's not, answer. Wait, 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 so wait, let's wait, hold, wait, on. hold on. No, you hold on. Hold on. No, you hold on. Let me explain. It's my first day back. After oh, a so while. listen. So listen. You know what I mean? So listen. Ashton Vega asked us, "What's what is y'all's favorite team?" So I guess we'll just answer that question real quick. So I'm a Jets fan and I'm a Knicks fan for basketball slash a Rockets fan too. Yo. <laughs> so who's your favorite team, Riff? Um, if we're doing that, Eagles, Warriors, Bulls. I'm a Nets. I'm a Jets and Net fan. I don't have a second team. I'm loyal. Loyal to the soil. Nah, just, Ten just like, toes. I'm not even a Warriors fan. I'm just a Steph Curry fan. No, but I will say before we move on from the Jets, I don't think that the Jets are as far away as people make it out to be. I do think Sam Donald's going to get traded this offseason. 
I think they're going to draft a quarterback, whether it be Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. And I know I've been very down on Justin Fields, but one thing I want to say, and my confidence, I, 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 I never want to make my decision on a guy based on one game, but what he did in the college football playoff semifinal really cemented the point that I'm about to make. There are four things that you cannot argue about Justin Fields. He's a great leader. He's a great kid from all accounts. He's a very smart kid, and he's a hard worker. And if you put those four things together with the physical tools that he has and you pair it with a good head coach, it's a recipe for success. And so I don't think that he would be a bad choice. I don't think that Zach Wilson would be a bad choice. I think he's a bit more of a project, but I think he has a higher ceiling. And if you could get the quarterback right, there's a lot of talent on this Jets roster. They they were not as bad as their record showed. They have $70 million in cap space. They have the second-best draft capital this year, and they have a few extra picks next year. So I think that this could be a very quick turnaround. You look at the Dolphins last year, and that's the model that I'm looking at for the Jets to follow. You go out, you hire a really good head coach like they did in Brian Flores. You get to hopefully get the quarterback right, and you could be competing quickly. I'm sorry, the comments were so stupid. It was just so. Th- so this last segment is I'm about close to the year. So this last segment is about the Eagles. And How do you the, say our team name like that? And the question <laughs> is: Did Doug Peterson cost the Giants a playoff spot deliberately? And what do you think is the problem in Philadelphia? I'm going to start with you, Riv, since that's your favorite team. Since you like birds, and that's your favorite team. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, absolutely. He definitely did. And it's not a, I, I don't look at it as a bad thing. I think he just wanted a lower draft pick. I, cause I, I think he feels like what we need. I think, I think the smart thing we're going to do is we're going to go receiver. And I think he feels like receivers won't be there at the pick we were going to get if we would have won. So I think he did throw away that game. Cause there's no way you sit there and you put Nate Self on the game. You say, I think we're going to win. It's no way. It's no way in hell. We could have won that game with Jalen Hurts. Nate Selfield, he's not that good. Now, what was your second question? You said what? What's the problem in Philly? Um, fifty percent this year. I get fifty percent Carson Wentz. The offensive line is old and injured. The receiving core is not good. Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. We gotta let them go. They're not that good. Defense. This is the first time in a while our secondary has been really, really well. They were ninth ranked this year. Our secondary. Our defensive line. They start. They struggled early, but they got up late. But they're getting old. So I think. Overall, we're in cap hell. Age is killing us. I think the front office, we're kind of in a loop now, especially with the quarterback situation. We don't know who to go with. Jalen Hurts had a few good games, but Wentz, allegedly him and Peterson are having issues, but they allegedly are good friends. Zach Hurts, we haven't paid him, so we don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be a bad couple of years because we're in cap hell, but I think overall the whole problem is from top to bottom, front office, offensive line, defensive line, everything. Listen, and what's happening to the Eagles is what happens to teams not name the Patriots that go on to win or make the Super Bowl because you got to spend a lot. You look at the Rams. They're, they don't they don't care about trading picks. They don't care about giving out contracts. They give out whatever, and now we see them that they're kind of in a, in a situation where they're stuck, and the Chiefs might be in a similar situation once they, they don't have any money to give anybody because Patrick Mahomes is making so much. And you look at the 49ers now, dealing with injuries. They're soon going to be in the cap hell. If they pay Jimmy, cer- they certainly are. So this happens to those type of teams. Did Doug Peterson cost the Giants a playoff spot? I- I'll say 
in in a sense he did. The Giants cost themselves a spot at the playoffs because they sucked the entire season. That's why. <laughs> they had a good stretch of games, which is cool. But in reality, if they would have won seven games or seven games, they would have been in the playoffs. So, yeah. you know, I I don't think it's too much to ask for a team, a playoff team, to win seven games. This dude just called me a lover of birds. But this what I think is everybody knew on the Eagles that he didn't want to win the game. You see that once Nate Sudfeld went in the game, there's a clip of Jalen Hurts on a sideline saying, mouthing that this isn't right. You look at Jason Kelsey on the place. He didn't even block for Nate Sudfeld. <laughs> and what I think is, is so irresponsible of Doug Peterson to do this, I think it was irresponsible because, one, you should be wanting to see what Jalen Hurts has as a quarterback. But I also think it's irresponsible because I think Doug Peterson's play calling has been bad all year. This game in particular, you put Jalen Hurts out there in a position to fail. And not only that, outside of Jalen Hurts, when you put Nate Sudfeld in the game, a guy who has been on your team for a couple of years, and let's be honest, will probably this was, might be his only shot ever to get a get some real playing time in a regular season game. You completely sabotage him and sabotage his opportunity. And now, based off this, people might not even want him anymore. Not saying that they wanted him before, but you gave him a a, a false opportunity. You know, you didn't give him a real opportunity. You sabotaged him. And in Philadelphia, I think the problem is Doug Peterson. I think his play calling has been awful all year long. And if Philadelphia makes the decision to move off from Carson Wentz and keep Peterson, that's the worst decision they're ever going to make because Wentz is going to succeed and strive in another environment. And Peterson, on the on the, on the the track that he's on now, will not be the head coach in Philly in is about three Joel? to four years. Is this, That's what I'm saying. Is this Joel right here saying that? Look, wow. look, I'm fair. I'm not a very big fan of Carson Wentz, but when I see something is not going right, <laughs> then I, I put on my Captain America uniform <laughs> and I come to save the day and I come to give my two cents on things. But th- that's what I think. I think Doug Peterson has mismanaged this team the entire year. Well, I'll start out with the first question, and my Giant fan friends are not going to be happy with me at this. The Eagles did not lose the Giants a playoff spot. The Giants lost the Giants a playoff spot. They won six games, so you can't complain about what anybody else did on you missing the playoffs when you won six games. You could have very easily made the playoffs if Evan Engram doesn't drop a pass for a first down against the Eagles with two minutes to go, and they don't march down the field and score in those two minutes. You know, you could go back. There's a bunch of different situations where the Giants could have clinched the playoff spot themselves, but they just weren't that good of a team. Nobody in the NFC East was that good of a team consistently this season. I think the Washington football team has put it together the most, but the Giants cannot blame anybody else for them not making the playoffs. It's their own fault. They have nobody else to blame. Talking about Sunday <laughs> night in particular, it was bad. And I tweeted after the game, Doug Peterson should be embarrassed. It was a joke. And his press conference was even worse. One thing I will say, even though I disagree with the move, I think it was stupid. I think it was bad timing. I think it was a poor coaching decision and just a poor decision as, as like anybody who could read the room and see what the response is going to be. Like you said, he set Nate Sudfeld up to fail. He did say earlier in the week he did want to get Sudfeld some meaningful snaps. So I don't think that this was some sabotage operation from Doug Peterson. I don't think he sat there and said, oh my God, the game is close. We don't want the Giants to make the playoffs. Let me throw in our backup. No, this was calculated. He knew he wanted to do it. But as a head coach of a football team, you have to see it's a three-point game. 
that another team is depending on you winning to clinch, it's a horrible spot to put your backup quarterback in. It's just, I, I can't get over how bad of a decision it is. It was not a winning decision. And when you're in a position like that, realistically, what was the difference in picks? What did they, ju- I, I honestly don't it know. It would have been they- a pretty huge difference. It was nine to six. Nine to six? Nine or six. Nine or six. I, I was hearing that they could have dropped to like 13th. If it, if it was nine to six, it, it's six not that hour. big of a difference. <clears throat> At that point, you should be playing. It's not like it was the difference between Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. You should be playing to win the game. And as a result of him not doing that, it seems like by all accounts he has lost the locker room there, which is going to be a problem moving forward. Forget about just this this weekend or this offseason. It's not going to blow over. And the problems there, there's a bunch of problems, but I think it starts with Doug Peterson because when you talk about Carson Wentz, your $100 million man, what's the problem that we keep talking about? It's some, or, or how can we fix Carson Wentz? How can Carson Wentz get back to his MVP form? Somebody needs to coach him up. That's the one thing that you hear Whenever somebody talks about Carson Wentz, somebody needs to fix his footwork. Somebody needs to give him his confidence back. And where do you gain that? From your coach. And he hasn't gotten that from Doug Peterson at all. So, I don't know. I just think from the top down, there's a lot of problems there. Like Riff said, the cap situation isn't great. And there are a couple holes here and there that have just been like patchwork run over and and just tried to cover up the holes and, and go as far as you could without the wheels falling off. I don't I, I don't think they're that far off, you know, in that division, because I don't think anybody is that much of a contender in that division right now, but the problem is the Washington football team is going to get a quarterback. The Giants are going to figure out, you know, might figure out some of their problems this offseason. The Cowboys, if they bring back Dak, everybody's going to be moving forward, and the Eagles are just going to be moving backwards because now they chose Doug Peterson. Like you said, Wentz is more than likely gone. And now Jalen Hurts is the guy. Can Jalen Hurts replicate what he did in five games this season, next season? I, I question that. I think what really destroyed my confidence is when Doug Peterson said, J.J. Whiteside is going to continue to get more oh reps my God. next year. I just, I just I, I can't suffer another failed draft. I, I, I can't. Like, I don't think we should, we, we should miss on this draft. I think we have to really hit home on this draft. And I, I think – like you said, everybody's moving forward. Washington is young. They got a lot of young talent. The Giants have a lot of young talent. Dallas is getting their quarterback back. They got they still got some young talent out there too. We're we're just old and beat up. And I think the video of um Kelsey Ertz and Wentz sitting on the field, I think that speaks volume. I think it's the talent. end of an era for this Philly team. I think those three are probably gonna be gone. Maybe not Kelsey, because you know, he still does what he does, but I think Ertz is gone. I think Wentz is going to end up being gone. I I really know, I know for a fact Alshon is gone. Deshaun Jackson's probably going to, we're going to get some cap back if we release him. So I think this is going to start the trend of the young guys, the Miles Sanders and the Jalen Rieger. I think we're going to see a lot of the young guys playing next year, and I think this is the end of the old guys. I even think Brandon Graham might be gone because he's probably our only trade value because yeah. it just doesn't make sense. They're see, just gonna, they're going to go backwards. See the play that proved to me that they didn't want to win the game was when you decided to go for it and not kick the field goal and tie the game. You know, I, I didn't think there was any reason to go for it. It's not like they were – it was like two yards away. It was like six yards away. Like, yeah. They, they were – no, you, you don't decide to go for it there. You decide to tie the game. So If you they know. cared about winning, they never would have taken Jalen Hurts out. Yeah, exactly. he wasn't. He wasn't playing – he wasn't having his best game, but he was playing at least okay, solid, good enough to win in a game that close. And he's – 
the most dynamic playmaker you had on the field. So I, I don't get it at all. Yeah, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Pick Aside Podcast, episode 55. Riv made his uh, debut. Debut. His debut. Return, his return. 2021 debut, as we all did. We all made our 2021 Unlike debuts. And just to update you guys on what's happening this week. Talk to him. Um, this episode was about just headlines of week 17 and overall what we thought about the season. We're going to do a playoff preview show. We're probably going to go live for that again. We're going to preview all six wild card games. Then we're going to probably give some individual topics on like the hottest storylines of the playoffs. Then we'll do an NFL pick on wild card edition in that episode as well. I didn't want to do it this episode because I felt like I wanted time to prepare to, to you know really study each team in the matchups instead of just giving a prediction. Rather just give it in that show. Then later on in the week, we're probably going to record a basketball episode if we have the time for it. You know, we know that Curry just dropped 60 and the basketball stuff has been going crazy. Yeah. But I think it's a little bit better that we're recording a basketball episode this week and not last week. Yeah. Last week would have been a lot of overreactions to the first week of the season where, as now, we kind of are more settled into the start of the season of the NBA. But yeah, I mean, thank you guys for watching to this for this on this episode of the Pick Aside. Whether you're listening, watching on YouTube Live, thank you guys for watching. As always, you can find us on TikTok and on Instagram at Pick Aside Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod. On Instagram and Twitter, we update you guys when we're gonna go live, so you guys will always know when we're gonna go live. And if you guys want to donate to us on Patreon, you guys can at Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Pick Aside Podcast. So thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you for the support. Happy New Year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Happy New Year.